Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of masculinity and femininity happening around the world today. My guest this week is a wife and new mother, a podcast host, and the woman behind a massively popular Instagram account promoting traditional Christian values, Annalise from Feminine Not Feminist. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. Hello, welcome to the sixth episode of my podcast, Everyday Wife. I'm Annalise. If you're new here, I'm a 24-year-old wife and new mother to my almost six-month-old, which is crazy. And he's actually behind me right now sleeping while I record this. So hopefully... He stays asleep for the duration of this. He seems pretty sleepy, so he should be good. Um, I'm really excited about today's podcast. This is something I've been mulling over for a while now. Also, excuse me if I'm a little stuffy. I have been sick with a variety of things recently. So um, forgive me if my voice sounds a little off. But anyway, so I'm excited about today's podcast. I've been mulling these thoughts over for a while and have had conversations with other women who have expressed similar experiences. Um, So um, let's jump into it. I'm going to be talking about health, about healing journeys, as we like to call them, um, and how good things can turn into a chronic form of selfishness. And I would say beyond that, um, self-absorbed, self-centered neuroticism. That's the word I would use for it. So if you are on the interwebs, if you're on Instagram, you have probably, or maybe not, uh, come across certain circles of which I am a part. Um, I do not condemn any individual who is out there sharing information. I am so thankful for the spread of free, useful information that gets people thinking, gets people researching helps people to be um, self-educating, right? So, but maybe you're part of these communities that talk a lot about health, talk a lot about non-toxic lifestyles, talk a lot about eating, right? And these are all excellent things. I follow a lot of these pages and I have implemented a lot of the things I've learned. I have not implemented a lot of the things I've learned as well. And everyone gets to do their own version of what they want to do and you don't have to take any of the advice at all. But I preface it all that way to say this is in no way a condemning speech on any one Instagrammer or even on the community. It's, first of all, it's much broader than just like one single community. There are Venn diagrams of these things. There's different um, perspectives within that community. So this is all to say um, nothing condemning about this. I'm using this as a bouncing board to, is that what you call it? Diving board? 
launching board. <laughs> I use, I'm using this as a launching board to talk about something that I have fallen into through no fault to anyone else, merely my own um, sinfulness and um, selfishness. So people will talk a lot about non-toxic stuff, food, whatever, and healing. And um, healing is a wonderful thing. It's incredible to go from feeling horrible, tired, chronically fatigued, um, you know, having terrible digestion, um, very depressive moods that are related to like nutrient deficiencies and stuff like that. It's a wonderful thing to go from experiencing those things and making some changes in your diet, in your lifestyle that bring about um, renewed vibrancy, health, better skin, um, maybe help improve your mood so that you're functioning better during the day. A big one too is going from being tired to actually having energy. This is huge for the moms. So there's a lot of information about there about how that can help you. And I think it's wonderful. However, there are pitfalls with anything. And I'm going to go all the way back to talking about Eve, uh, the wife of Adam <laughs> in the garden of Eden, who was tempted, um, by the serpent, um, to become like God. And she saw that the fruit was, um, desirable to eat and desirable to make one wise. And I, there was another one. It was basically the lust of the flesh, the lust, lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Um, but I really want to focus in on that one desire, desirable to make one wise wisdom we hear about in Proverbs is basically the best thing you can have. If you follow me on Instagram or have listened to my podcast before, you know that I often talk about what I call the Great Reconciliation. The Great Reconciliation is the inevitable product of the Renaissance of men and the Renaissance of women, or as you heard in my introduction, the rebirth of masculinity and femininity happening around the world. These processes are independent with their own internal dynamics, and they're also mutually reinforcing. The success of one influences and perhaps even depends on the success of the other, a bit like men and women in general, don't you think? But as with all good things, there's a catch. The catch is simple. The great reconciliation can't be forced on anyone. You gotta want it. The red pill is a philosophy riddled with errors which at some point I'll talk about, but one of its most serious and perhaps fatal mistakes comes from its disrespect of women. The red pill attempts to imagine a positive future for the sexes, but it still only conceives of women as objects to be controlled towards this end. You see this in some of the YouTube video titles, one of which reads, Dominate Your Wife, Dominate Your Life. The red pill frames relationships as a power dynamic between men and women with men on top. There are historical and philosophical reasons behind that, which someday I'll get into, but for now, that's the ditch on one side of the road. There's a ditch on the other side of the road, too. That ditch is called feminism. Feminism offers a counterposition to the red pill. It also agrees that relationships are a power dynamic between men and women, but feminism says, of course, that women should be on top. Perhaps you can see the problem. Back and forth, men and women go, for all of civilization, in a constant battle for power. 
I am deeply opposed to this, as you might imagine. The entire purpose of my work is to propose and propagate a third way, a way out, not a revolution going around and around, but a renaissance, a rebirth for men, for women, and for us together. Again, though, you gotta want it. But what does that mean? It means that you too have to look upon these historical power dynamics and say, enough, I don't want to play these games anymore. And the sex that needs to say this the most is women. Everything in our culture incentivizes women to disrespect and disregard men. If you watch movies or TV, no man but a billionaire playboy, pirate, vampire, or werewolf will ever be good enough for any heroine. Or for married couples, the husband is always portrayed as the buffoon the wife is cleaning up for. Superheroes are lectured, mythologies subverted, characters gender-swapped, and plucky 100-pound girls can do things that men two and a half times their size can't. The message? Women, you are magical. You don't need men. You can do it all alone. In fact, you should. And not only that, to honor the sacrifices of your mothers and grandmothers, you have to. It's a pretty remarkable scam, made all the more remarkable for the fact that feminism has delivered on none of the promises of happiness and fulfillment that it made. A woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle, was the famous feminist saying of the 1960s. According to a CDC report in 2018, however, 17% of women over the age of 18 were on antidepressants, and 25% of women over 60 were as well. This is pre-COVID. And, most shockingly, for 2009 through 2018, the percentage of antidepressant use increased among women, but not men. That study is linked in the show notes. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Real feminism has never been tried, right? I think I've heard that before. But here's the thing. I know in my heart of hearts that it's not women's fault. Women want to love men. They were designed to love men, as men were designed to love women. For all the political posturing that strong and independent women do, Baby Yoda was still a bestseller. And it wasn't guys buying him. We cannot defeat our design, but that design can be exploited by those who know us better than we know ourselves. And that is what feminism does so expertly. It exploits an aspect of women's psyches that was first described, as far as I know, in a really good book. Which brings me to my guest this week. Her name is Annalise, and she's a wife, mother, podcast host, devout Christian, and the brilliant voice behind one of the most confident and outspoken Instagram accounts I follow, Feminine Not Feminist. Annalise's success is proof of two things. First, feminism is failing. In just two years, her page has grown to over 140,000 followers. That's almost 6,000 followers per month. For reference, I only have 7,000 followers on Instagram total. This demonstrates to me that the renaissance of women is very real. As you'll hear, Annalise's content and lifestyle is challenging to every modern sensibility, all the more so because she's very young, just 24 years old. To me, that's evidence that women's longing for better answers isn't based on status. They're ready to accept truth when they find it, and praise God for that. And the second thing Annalise's success proves is that women are ready for the third way. They're ready for the great reconciliation. But as you'll hear in just a moment, that doesn't mean the hurdles to get there are over. In our conversation, Annalise and I discussed the history of her page, Feminine Not Feminist, some of her early challenges with marriage, 
how she found peace with being a woman, the deep roots of bitterness, the C.S. Lewis space trilogy, and how she and I love the second book, Paralandra, the human longing to be understood, and how it ties to identity, and finally, how to change your husband. Wink, wink. I said earlier that Annalise's content is very challenging. This podcast is no different. The truth she shares in our conversation about herself and her journey as a wife and mother should challenge every woman listening to take a hard look at herself and her own soul. What you'll find has been written about in that very good book. So you might want to have it handy. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Please take a minute to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Ren of Men, or subscribe to my mailing list by visiting my website at renofmen.com newsletter. And if I can borrow a moment of your time, after my satirical Spring Spectacular episode on April 1st with impersonations of Donald Trump, Alex Jones, and Jordan Peterson, some listeners got really upset. It turns out they went to Spotify and review-bombed my podcast. I'm currently sitting at a 4.4 rating with 71 reviews. While on Apple, I'm at a much more reasonable 4.8. This is a pretty juvenile response to an April Fool's Day episode that made fun of those public figures more than anything, but it's par for the course for the internet these days. Some people just can't take a joke. So if you're listening on Spotify right now and you wouldn't mind, please click that five-star review button. It'll help bring this podcast back up in the rankings. I work very hard on this show to achieve an unfailing standard of audio and content quality, so your small gesture of appreciation helps me know that this show is valued and will help others discover my guests and the Renaissance as well. So once again, if you're listening on Spotify, please click that five-star review button. Thank you so much. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the wife, mother, and woman behind Feminine Not Feminist and the Everyday Wife podcast, Annalise. Annalise from Feminine Not Feminist, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So um, I've gotten so many supportive messages having you on. And um, like one of the things that I like so much about, uh, about what I do with the Renaissance of Men is that the Renaissance of Men includes women because without women, it's pointless. And, uh, and so you're one of the voices, you know, in the whole renaissance of women, if we can call it that, that I respect and, and look up to the most. So I'm, I'm very grateful that, um, that you've made the time to, to have a conversation with me today. Cause I think we've got a lot to talk about. Yes. I've been really looking forward to this. So that's great. So, um, I think, I think where I'd like to start is, um, because this is just my own personal curiosity is how did you get started with, with your Instagram page? Because I just showed up on the scene a couple of years ago. And then I discovered the whole Renaissance of Women world and found you quite quickly. Like this has been kind of going on for a while. So that was the exciting part for me to see that uh, women were already talking about and thinking about these issues. Yeah. So I started my page in June of 2020. Um, so it's only been about two years. Oh, wow. And so, yes, it grew from zero to 70,000 followers in one year. Wow. Um, and it just, it just took off. It was insane. And I wasn't expecting that. Um, and so basically, um, it, yeah, so it was June, 2020 and I had gone through just a very, um, yeah, an intense time in my marriage and an intense time interpersonally coming face to face with 
myself. Um, and <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I was, you know, I, I'd always kind of been interested in sharing my thoughts on an online platform and I wasn't really sure how that, I don't know, how do you do that? Like, do you just start a page and start talking? Sure. Um, so June, 2020, I, I started it and actually the, the name was radical submission was my first handles name. <laughs> That's not bad. It's not bad. I liked it, but yeah. um, but then I changed it to feminine, not feminist. And I think long term that was <laughs> a better move. Um, yeah. So yeah, it it really just came out of. I would say it came very like freshly out of some stuff that had been going on in my own life, and I was like, and I've always been a writer, um, and so I just took those lessons and turned them into words and people resonated and it took off. So. Can you remember when you started the page, when you first realized, was there like a moment that, that you posted something and it really took off and it's like, oh wow, more people are, are having these thoughts where you realize I might actually be onto something like 70,000. Um, that's like, that's how many is that? That's like 4,000, like 4,000 followers. No, five, 6,000 followers a month. Something like that. And, and it didn't it's wild. feel like that to me. I, I don't know. Yeah. When I look back at the numbers, I'm like, oh, that really was that. Um, I know the first month I only, I grew like zero to 600 in the first month or something like that. Sure. And I was like, cool, this is great. Like, this is a great uh, trajectory. Um, I remember seeing someone share my post and I was like, oh, that's interesting that they found that worth sharing. Like, yeah. So, um, that was a moment that I was like, okay. Um, and then I also, the level of engagement, I think was what stood out to me because sometimes you'll see people that have like a ton of followers, but their posts get like a hundred likes and a few comments and the, the engagement is low. And so I think what stood out to me was from the very beginning, there was high engagement that was always very proportionate to my following. Um, and so I realized that it wasn't just people were like casually like, oh, I'm interested in this. No, they were they were part of something greater. Um, and I think that was, that was what stood out to me. The mm. level yeah. And you were getting messages, I'm sure from people like, Oh, I've had the same thoughts. And that yes. must've been quite a surprise, quite an experience to recognize that you weren't alone in that. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was interesting because like in my personal life, I have like-minded people. I'm very blessed in that way. Um, but yeah, it just goes to show like there's nothing new under the sun. Um, and and the fact that, you know, because I had some insecurities of like, I'm very young. Yeah, I was 22 when I started my page. But like truth and wisdom is not, it doesn't discriminate based on age. Um, and so, yeah, there was women much older than me reaching out saying, thank you for sharing this. and. I'm learning from you and you could be my granddaughter. And it's just like, whoa. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because I, I, um, I, without knowing the demographics, like it, it makes sense. Like there is, there is something going on amongst women sort of deprogramming from a lot of the feminist kind of lies, like willfully, like this hasn't worked. I, I never liked it. Or I've realized I was wrong. So there are so many, um, so many I I figured that there would be a lot of girls of your generation that would be asking questions about these things, but it's actually, it, it's, it's surprising and, and not surprising at all 
to recognize that you were getting you would be getting attention and engagement for women up the generations from you, like to even to to grandmothers. You said right? Yes, yes. Women in their sixties, um, and yeah. What does I mean, what does that look like? Like what sort of things? What sort of things do they share with you? This is this is fascinating to me because this is a world that I have very limited visibility into, but I know it's I know what's going on. It's incredibly exciting. Yes. So um, a lot of the messages are um, just extremely encouraging messages from women saying, "I've been married forty years, and what you're saying is true." Wow. Um, and those are my favorite. Um, you know, yes, it it is like it's really cool to hear someone say. Um, you know, that they're learning from me, even though they've been married so many years, but I really like the messages where someone is saying everything you've said has proven true in my 30, 40 years of experience in marriage. Keep doing what you're doing, which is, sorry, he just moved. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. That's my first baby guest. (laughs) Yes. So, um, so you mentioned that, that some things were going on in your, in your personal life. I know that you've got a podcast now and you've, you've spoken very vulnerably about some of the things that you've been through with regards to, um, diet and some of the other things in the past and health and health challenges to some extent. Would you be interested in talking about some of the stuff that was going on in your personal life related to when you created the page and why you chose, um, the theme that you did? Because feminine, like radical submission is a, it's a great title, but maybe better for a book. Feminine, not feminist, I think is probably sells a little better on social media. Yes. Um, so, yeah, right. So, like, what sort of things, if you don't mind sharing just a little bit, what was going on then that inspired you to go in this direction? Yeah, no, I don't mind sharing at all. Um, so, my husband and I got married in 2018, um, and we had had some like disagreements um, when we were dating about some stuff, um, and when I tell you what it is, it's, it's very silly stuff. Um, it's like hair, makeup, this kind of stuff, how mm. I would wear my hair, how it, wake, to wear makeup or not to do makeup, whatever. Um, and so, you know, we had had some disagreements about this when we were dating mm-hmm. and um, I had an awareness of even when I was 19, 20, because um, we started dating when I was 19, I had an awareness by the grace of God of like, this is my husband. And like, I'm going to honor his preferences. Um, I'm going to let me move. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to honor his preferences. Um, and like when you get married, it's not just about what you want, what you want to do. Um, so I understood that. Um, but when I got married, mm-hmm. I started dealing with like extreme bitterness and it was like to this point that I, I was like, something is something is wrong that I feel so bitter about like my husband having like simple requests. Like this really isn't about hair or makeup or whatever. So for context, I don't wear makeup. My husband does not like makeup. He doesn't want me to wear makeup. And I didn't really care at the beginning. And then when we were married, it was like um, just being told what I should or shouldn't do. Yeah. And that's why I say it sounds silly, right? Because we're talking about makeup or hair or or the clothing that I would wear. Okay. It's really not about that. Right. It's about like belonging to someone else and this idea that I was not completely autonomous anymore. Oh wow. Yeah. So that was my, I think the the heart of my struggle. Um <laughs> he's just 
<laughs> being so cute. Um, but yeah, so we got married in 2018 and these <sighs> discussions kept resurfacing and every time they would resurface, they would just get more and more um, heated and aggressive and difficult. And I don't mean like physically aggressive, but just right. like verbally aggressive. Um, and so I remember that I was going to all sorts of women and wasn't really discriminating like, oh, this is someone who I, I was kind of just going to anyone and anyone who would listen to me. I was in a very vulnerable place and I just wanted someone to like give me an answer. And the amount of bad I got, advice that I got is <laughs> is shocking. And yeah. I remember a friend of mine, she listened to me. I kind of shared like some stuff and she was like, just submit to your husband. And I was like, that's all you're going to tell me. <laughs> um, but it was the only advice that actually made sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so our marriage was like up and down, depending on like me. You know, it was my temperament and my how submissive I wanted to be or whatever. It was very up and down. And it was March, I believe, of 2020. Um, We were talking about something and um, it was raining outside. And um, we lived on like, we lived with a family that like lived on a farm. So there was like mud everywhere. And this has a point. Um, that's great. Go ahead. So we, we, we got out of the car after fighting and I rolled in a pile of mud. (laughs) So, um, I, I look back at that as like a pinnacle moment (laughs) because I, I had hit rock bottom and I just, I rolled in a pile of mud and it was, um, yeah, I was like, I don't know what kind of bacteria and things are in this, but probably like duck poop. Um, um, yeah. And then, uh, that night, so yeah, I was just in the mud and then I was kind of just like walking around crying and, the we lived with a family at the time and the husband comes out and he's like, are you okay? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not really okay. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I said, I, I think I need to just go in shower, eat some chocolate and go to bed. Um, anyway, I only bring that up to say that was, I would say a moment that I hit, hit rock bottom, quite literally, I rolled in mud. Um, and then it was really only up to go from there. Um, and so it's, it's funny how like we grow as people, because sometimes the stories we hear are like, this happened and then I changed, but it's often more just like this. You're slowly going up but there's downs. Um, so, um, that incident. And then I really started to dig into first Peter three, um, which really cool story, but I had started memorizing first Peter years ago. I had just picked it randomly to start memorizing. Um, and then I had no idea that God was going to use that memorization because that is like the one verse. I mean, there's multiple verses, but that that is the one verse that changed everything for me. Um, and so, you know, it says wives be subject to your own husbands. Um, or say it says for wives. Um, 
so that if any do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your pure and respectful conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, but let your adorning be the inner person of the heart with the beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit, um, the imperishable beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And then it goes on to say, and this is what just blew my mind. It goes on to say, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I cannot tell you how mind blowing that was because my, my argument in my marriage was about makeup, hair, clothes, this silly stuff. And the text literally says that the, the best adornment that a woman can have is to submit to her own husband. So that all just <laughs> came to, um, came to a, a a pinnacle moment where, or series of moments where I was like, I am just tired of, Mm -hmm. of doing things my way. Um, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of being disrespectful, dishonoring. Um, I was just tired of it. And, um, and like, I knew that it was not pleasing to the Lord. So I started that page really very freshly coming out of that place. And so these posts, you know, they were not these like high and lofty. I'm telling you what to do. This was like, I am in the trenches with you. Like I just spoke disrespectfully to my husband. And so now I'm going to go make something of it. And I'm going to write a post about why it's, it's wrong and it's hurtful. (laughs) So I think, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of people might have come on at the beginning and and this thought like, wow, she's arrived. And like I have always said from the beginning, I am not arrived. I am simply putting words to the mistakes that I have made and continue to make. So yeah, that was the the whole story. <laughs> so that's beautiful. That's really, I mean, so much of so much of the things that I think both uh, I, I know the men that I know that we teach are, are born out of our own mistakes, right? Like I, yes. I don't hold myself up as like, I'm some paragon icon of masculinity. Like I'll show you a photo of me a few years ago, you know, and it was definitely not that like, you know, but we all, we all must make mistakes and we grow and it's from growing from those mistakes and making them in the first place that we learn what it actually is to do things correctly. And in that we, we become teachers, right? Yes. Um, and I think what really, what really resonates for me, from what you were saying is the feeling of grief from having lived out of alignment for so long that maybe you yourself weren't necessarily in touch with. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I got married young. I got married at 20. Mm. And um, the shock of going from doing whatever I wanted, even though I was only 20 when I got right. married. And that's what I find interesting is because I've talked to friends who, you know, they're almost in their 30s or in their 30s and they say, it's going to be difficult when I get married because I've been doing things my own way for so long. And I experienced that and I was only 20 and I start. I met my husband at 17. Like this is, you know, and so to realize how deep the programming is, um, that a 20 year old new wife is still hardcore having to unlearn that. That's crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the biblical curse, right? Like it's yeah. not, it's, it's not, it is 
that Jen, I was writing today for a post that I'm working on that like feminism is the biblical curse on overdrive, mm. right? It, it just yeah. feeds all into that where it's, it's a like philosophical manifestation of the curse. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Socialized, like made it into a political, a political force, a social force, a, a culture and everything. So it makes sense that as you would get into like, that's, you know, your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Like yeah. the very fact of getting married will activate that. Right. It seems to me that yes. would be the case. Right. Yes. Because it was interesting how I was willing to submit when we were dating. <laughs> and in, <laughs> yes. you're yeah. right. Um, and then in engagement, the bitterness started to turn up and then in marriage, it was just uh, aggressively agitated. And, and, um, I didn't share this part, but I, I read a book that a friend gave me. It's actually a single friend, never been married. And she, but she was like, I think this book would be good for you. And it was called the abusive wife. And, um, I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> but there was a chapter in there about um about bitterness. And the the point that this sorry. Oh buddy, it's okay. You wanna play with the, the speaker? Play with the mic? Ooh. Um anything. Be yeah, exactly. Um the point that this chapter made, and this is a, a biblical counselor. Who wrote this book? Um, but the point that he made was that um, bitterness is the most destructive thing that you can have in a marriage because once mm. you go down the path of bitterness, like if yeah. you do not do full stop, turn yourself around, repent, and leave that bitterness behind, um, you, you it's it's a dangerous, dangerous, destructive path. And I read that and I realized, oh, I am on that path of bitterness. And he gave examples of. Um, women that he had met through counseling um, or um, he, he had counseled a lot of men who were married to like abusive, bitter women. And so he gave stories and what you see with women who become excessively bitter is that they become literally mad. They become crazy Mm -hmm. and, um, and they are controlled and governed by those emotions and I saw that trajectory in myself as much as I hate to admit it. And I was just like, I, I, I need to run in the opposite direction. So help me God, like help me Lord, because this is the path I'm going down. Um, wow. so yeah, I wanted to also add that there's a lot of things that, that culminated in my page, but those are some key moments. That's very brave to, to admit that. Um, and I want to talk about that bravery in just a second because I think it's important. But you know, getting married at twenty, like a lot of a lot of a lot of women. By the way, men suffer from bitterness too. Like, well, don't I know it? So, uh, so like this isn't just a one-sided thing. It shows up differently in men. But it, like a lot of women, they say that their bitterness is legitimate because of uh, past treatment by dads or ex-boyfriends or, or something like that. And and I don't know whether that's the case for you, but it almost seems like at age twenty, like. The bitterness isn't like, well, because such and such happened in my past. It just seems like something that kind of emerged out of you organically on its own. Like that was part of you as opposed to tied to anything from the past. Yes. And that's absolutely correct. I have incredible brothers, an incredible father. Wow. Who I have an amazing relationship with. This is the thing. Yes, I'd had, I dated some guys before. They were both nice guys that there was no issue with and we just didn't work out, you know, 
Um, there was no reason mm-hmm. <laughs> to be bitter. Um, I will say, and this is where th- I think a lot of the bitterness was actually talking to other women and mm-hmm. receiving the things that they were saying about marriage or their husbands or my husband. And I think, yes, the bitterness was already there, but it was really fostered by not talking to the right people, mm-hmm. um, which is scary. And But yeah. those women themselves, it's not necessarily bitterness because of a bad past event or relationship. It's also ingrown, but women feed it when they have these toxic, <laughs> you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... So yes, I absolutely agree with that. It it was activated by marriage. Um, and then I was forced to deal with it. Wow. That's that's really that's really heavy. Like I'm gonna sit with that for a while because um these notions of of biblical curses, like once I once I really really landed in that and and had an understanding of like of you know what 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 earth was when it was a paradise and how grievous you know, our sin was in Adam and Eve and the, and the, how legit God's curses were like, right. You know, but the thing is, is like, I'm, I'm not a woman, right. Obviously. So I know what it is to suffer under the male curse, which is, you know, to rather than tending to this beautiful overflowing abundant garden, men have to fight against the earth to produce prosperity and, you know, sweat of your brow and, and all that. Um, but to, to actually hear you describe that as you enter into marriage, that the poison of this curse surfaces organically within you simply by virtue of making the commitment to a husband. That's, that's, that's heavy. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, And and that's what I meant when I was saying earlier that I came to a place of coming face to face with myself uh, interpersonally and realizing like, I always knew I was a sinner, but I was like, Oh, I am a sinner. Um, and, yeah, uh, me too. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just remember listening to this, this Keith Green has a great rendition of Psalm 51, um, created me a clean heart. Oh God. I just remember listening to that and just bawling my eyes out one night <laughs> and, and yeah, it's <laughs> repentance is not, um, it's no joke. <laughs> it's not a joke. I was thinking that the repentance is no joke. It's well, intense. It's intense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to really, to really dig into like these feelings that are in you that are, they're part of you, but they're kind of not of you, but they've driven your behavior, your thoughts, your words, and your actions and your treatment of, of a man that you love. Like that's, that's right. like fall on your knees stuff. I love yeah. and the man that I chose to spend the rest of my life with. Why would I start suddenly of all people like directing that bitterness towards him? Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense. Um, and sin doesn't make sense. Um, but, but yeah. And then the way that it starts to that, that bitterness when it's directed towards your own husband, and then you start to see other men and think, well, they're not like my husband, you know, they're different. (laughs) Yeah. Um, grass is greener. The grass is greener. Mm -hmm. Um, featuring my baby eating my hair. Um, (laughs) I love it. It's great. It's beautiful. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's like curse upon curse. I mean, it's just, and, and I would say that was my, my, my first two years of marriage was just like this intense coming to face to face with the reality of, um, 
of my sin. And I realized if I'm going through this, other people are going through this. Mm-hmm. And turns out they were. <laughs> to a, a, a pretty amazing, a pretty amazing degree. But that you're you're able to talk about it. This is the bravery part, is that you're able to talk about it from the other side of it. Like I'm sure it's it's still a part of you as our curses are always going to be a part of us, but but you it it feels to hear you talk about it that you're 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 removed from it. Like you were you were down in it, like rolling in the mud of it, and now you're not in the mud of it anymore. I'm not in the mud of it. Um I, I would I have noticed that there are times when for instance, having a baby is a huge life change. Um, and we <laughs> were married. Yeah, we were married for a few years before we had a baby. Um, and so big life changes or things like that will kind of trigger old habits. Um, but now I can go, okay, I'm descending into those old habits. I'm descending into those old patterns. Wow. And so like, and, and honestly, just recently I had a, okay, I see I'm, I'm, I'm going down a trajectory. I need to stop ask God for forgiveness, repent. Um, but I'm, I'm quicker to see it now. And that's by the grace of God, but yeah, events that are just more stressful, you know, or just the fact of having a new baby and being sleep deprived and not having as much time with your spouse and stuff like that. Um, so, so yes, I would say, yes, there is a sense in which I'm removed from that deep, deep, dark place. But, um, I remember it was, it was, um, Brendan Schmidt, he did a post um, on something. I know that guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's great. And he did a post and I was reading and I was like, oh, okay, this is, I was like, I am, need to be reminded of this because you can always fall back into toxic old habits. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yes, yeah, I would say that. I don't, I don't want ever to present myself as have arrived um, because I have not. Um, right. Well, so, okay, so what is, what is your husband's experience of this been? Because it sounds to, to hear you describe the scenario, it's that you were going into marriage or you were already married and you were, you were kind of bristling at the notion that you didn't have your full autonomy anymore. And you went to women for advice and they activated this bitterness and you're like, yeah, you know what? That does kind of suck. And, you know, and, and sort of like brought this up in you. And meanwhile, your, your, your husband is, is going through this and, and how is he being through it? Like, he's like, what's going on? Things are going insane or is, um, you know, like what was his experience? Because I, I want to get to like, what's the experience of marriage like for you now without these, uh, without these aspects? Hey buddy. Okay. You want to sit down and play with some toys? It was like, what is wrong with my wife? Like, sure. I thought she loved me. <laughs> oh. um, and of course I'm like, yes, of course I love you. And then my actions are saying something different and, um, and just sort of like just shutting down because if my wife's going to act this way, I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not, gonna, I'm just going to mm. shut down. And that's, and the thing about when that happens is then the wife is like, you're shutting down on me. You're not being emotionally available. He's like, well, I'm shutting down because you're treating me like you don't love me. Um, and, and it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, yeah, I laugh because you laugh or you cry. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just, yeah. um, so I would say from his perspective, I mean, I'd have to ask him to get the, but I think he sure. would say, yeah, you just shut down. 
like, and you just, and he does not have um, a great family background. So when I would treat him in a certain way, it would break stuff up. So it was compounding a lot of things. Um, so yeah, I would say his main response would just be like, to be cautious with me because women can be very emotionally unstable and volatile. And how do you respond to someone and you don't know how they're going to treat you? Mm-hmm. Um, which is like, it's painful for me to say that because I know that's what I've done. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's painful. Um, but, but yeah. And to be perfectly honest with you, because I have no interest in not being perfectly honest. We are still working through repercussions of my emotional volatility. Wow. Um, and, and again, it's, it's just like, I, I see things now when I'm heading down a trajectory and I more quickly turn away from it. Um, but yeah, God did not choose me to have this platform because I'm good at it. God chose me because I will be honest and, (laughs) and, and, and be able to articulate what's going on. Like, like my point being, we're still working through some of those consequences because you can't just, you can't just live in bitterness for so long and then just turn around like that. Mm -hmm. That's really beautiful. Thank you for saying that, because I think a lot of people listening can probably hear reflected a lot of dynamics in their own relationships. I certainly can see them in, in, in some past relationships that I've had where it's like, where is all this anger at me coming from? Okay. And that now I'm going into a guarded, protective kind of state. And then she's like, well, why are you, why are you shutting down now? I'm someone that can force myself to be open, but there has definitely been moments where it's like, why am I going to open up and be, and here's the word, vulnerable? Mm-hmm. And there's so much chastisement to men to be vulnerable. But it's like men are putting themselves at risk for that same attacking bitterness. And there's no, men aren't stupid, right? We know when we, know when we feel that, but we're not actually allowed to say anything because here come some more words, feminism, patriarchy, you know, like ex-boyfriends yeah. or whatever. It's like, what does any of that have to do with me? You chose to be yeah. with me, you know, and that's, yeah. but, but, but the, but the, here's the, here's the tricky part is that those things are real, but that you didn't have any of those experiences and you still felt the better, felt the betterness to your husband. That's legit. Like that's real. That's, that's garden stuff. Yeah. <laughs> garden of East or garden of Eden stuff. Yeah. And, um, and yes, I had feminist programming by sure. virtue of living in a feminist influenced society culture yeah yeah but i have never called myself a feminist um i think i was even even in like high school i was like women getting the vote i wouldn't have been the ones fighting for that like i never i <laughs> we're gonna both get canceled um wait a minute never, <laughs> i just never resonated with the feminist message sure and and then I, I started to resonate with it after I got mm. married, and not like <laughs> feminism, right? Not like feminism, like like shave your head and like just be fat and like that. I mean, I never wanted that, but like 
you hear it all the time. My body, my choice. <laughs> and it's that autonomy thing. Yes. That, and like coming face to face with the Bible being like, the wife's body does not belong to herself. It belongs to her husband. And the husband's body does not belong to himself. It belongs to his wife. There is no bodily autonomy there. <laughs> That's right. And I could flesh that out more It's because people could misunderstand whatever, but that's what the text says. Um, and so I think, think, yes, there was feminist programming. Um, and, but, but the feminist programming appealed to me more after marriage, um, mm. which is, again, just goes to show that um, the curse is something that is alive and well and ready to strike when we give it the opportunity. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's and and the thing is, without without Christ, there's no incentive to do anything about it, right? Exactly. Without without the gospel, um, why why get married? <laughs> you know why? Yeah. Um, you know, and and that's all to say, like it's you know, I never gave up on my faith when I was going through my rough time. But I had some moments because my wow. faith in Christ and my relationship to, hu- to my husband were so integrated. And people love to use these very, they love to say these very dichotomous things like, don't love your husband more than you love God and don't make an idol out of him and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, let's think about this. <laughs> the way <laughs> yeah. that you treat your husband is a direct reflection of your relationship with God. Yes. And it is not this false dichotomy. And so I always just like cringe when I would hear that kind of thing. Um, because yes, we can make anything an idol, but making your husband an idol is I was making it an idol of him when I was being bitter towards him because I was expecting things from him that were that only Christ could give me. I was demanding things of him. That's what idolatry looks like. Um, it doesn't look like Oh, I just love you so much and <laughs> you're amazing. No, that is beautiful and God glorifying. But but to go back to what I was saying is I, I never gave up on my faith. Um, but there were moments where I was like, I recognized that to walk out on my husband would be to walk out on my God. And mm-hmm. that's when I realized like I'm treading dangerous waters because the thoughts of unfaithfulness to my husband would go and would correspond to thoughts of apostasy and unfaithfulness to Christ. Wow. So that's awesome. That's, I mean, that's oh not man, awesome, I'm but re- you know what I mean? I am rehashing some things right now. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but yeah. And, and I would just have these moments where it was like, so what am I, you know, like, what am I hanging on for? And, and I mean, my, my verse has always been when, when uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to Peter, because Jesus had just said, you know, if you, if you, uh, drink, you, you must drink my blood and eat my flesh, you know, and all these people leave him. And then he says to his disciples, are you going to leave me too? And Peter's like, where else are we going to go? You have the right. words of eternal life. And that was the place where I was, where I was like, <laughs> well, no, I'm not walking out because Jesus has the words of eternal life. And so I'm also not walking out of my marriage. Cause like he commands me to be faithful. Um, but there were some, there were some intense, intense moments of um, extreme bitterness, um, constant thoughts of adultery and unfaithfulness, um, just wow. all 
swirling together in this big mess that that it was. So that's very powerful. That's very powerful because I can I can feel that as you talk about it, that that how how abandoning your husband about how being unfaithful to your husband would go right along right along inside yourself in terms of being unfaithful to your God, that they would be, they would be interlinked, that they wouldn't be separate. Yes. And that, and that to, to betray one would be to, to betray the other and obedience to one is obedience to the other, despite your own bitterness and desire to disobey both. Right. Because, yeah. you know, half God really said in the garden and then, yeah. you, have, you know, and then you have feminism out there in the world. It's like, divorce your husband, no fault, divorce, just leave because you feel like it. Find another guy, you know, yeah. you got time, right? That's yeah, it, and and it was intense because I was still like in the workforce at this time. The workforce, sure. the workforce. <laughs> but, yes, um, it was intense because I was still working. I was working at a grocery store, and I was getting constant attention from men. And so there was this realization that, like, I was like, I could if I want to, and and it was this. I mean, it was it was this awful thing. It wasn't until I stopped working as much. And like, I just slowly began to like become at home more. I healed oh. so much. <laughs> um, okay. But when I was working a lot at, in the workplace um, and like, um, oh man, it, it was, it was very, very, it was very bad because, you know, so I'm treating my husband a certain way. So he withdraws. Right. Yep. And so then I don't get the attention that I want from him. So then I'm in the workplace and I'm getting this attention and I'm thinking I'm getting more attention from these people, from my own husband, but I'm also not treating my husband in such a way that he's going to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So, um, it wasn't, so I started slowly just being at home more. Um, and that was a very, very good thing, um, for us. I, I mean, yeah, I, I actually left a job partly because I didn't like it, but partly because I was like, I, I can't be around this one individual because, and it's like, I hadn't, I didn't think about this kind of stuff when I was single. Sure. So, um, it, it, it clearly is, it's like, it's more than just about like, it's not really about wanting to actually go out and cheat. It's about that dynamic in your marriage where you're coming face to face with the curse. Mm -hmm. the fall. So. This is incredible. This is, I mean, this is, this is a really important conversation to me because I spend a lot of time thinking about these things, trying to understand the way that the, the curse is really legit. And, and, but I can only understand it so far from an outside perspective, looking into the inner life of a woman. But to, to, it's, it sounds to me that what you're describing is so much more complex than, than, than even I had realized naturally, because you know, so, so you're shutting down your relationship with your husband, you're feeling rebellious, you're feeling bitter, and that's showing up in the home. And then you're going out there into the workforce and you're being exposed to other men who are offering you attention. And that's kind of like turbocharging what you're already going through. And that's the state that most women are in. Yes. That, that I just summed up, you just summed up like, this is our current situation. Wow. No wonder affairs are so, so rampant and there's movies about them and it's glamorized and yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a guy, uh, professor E. Michael Jones, Dr. E. Michael Jones. He wrote a book called, um, libido dominandi about how, um, 
sexual liberation was a project that had been worked on, I don't know, for something like 100 years before they finally pulled it off in the 1960s, and how um, sexual liberation is what you get in exchange for, um, for true freedom. Like they take away your, your true civil liberties and they give you sexual liberation instead. And so what he talks about is he talks about how, how long this project had been going on to, to celebrate adultery, just like you said. He, he listed a whole bunch of very famous novels where it's like the entire plot of this novel revolves around adultery, like Anna Karenina, I think, is one that he talked right. about. Yes. Right. It's like it's all it's all about adultery. And, and even uh, I, even the book Pride and Prejudice. Right. I love that book. Um, by Jane Austen, like it's not exactly adultery, but there's like some sexual liberation that shows up and it almost destroys the whole family. Right. Yeah. And, and just how much of this had been going on. And now we're kind of living, we're living in the ashes of it. Like there's this giant explosion and now we just kind of take for granted like, oh yeah, no, this is just normal. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and to realize that I am a, I am a Christian Citizen, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, but I'm mm. living in the kingdom of man and the kingdom of darkness. And so yeah. sometimes those, those messages are very hard to, it's hard to step outside of and be like, wait a minute, this is just, this is just propaganda from the kingdom of darkness. Um, and, and that's all it is. But when you are in a vulnerable, I mean, just a, a really dark place things start to get (laughs) meshed and, um, you start to doubt. And, and that was, that was the place I was in for sure. And these, these are the messages that, that people, they don't really like to hear. This is, this is the, I guess the paradox that I kind of, that I, I don't, I don't, I don't get caught in it because it's not a paradox, but in the, in the social media world, it would seem to be a paradox that, that what we're talking about, what you're saying is such an incredible incrimination of everything that we've been growing up in for the past two or three generations, right? That, yes. that, that women in the workforce, you know, women even voting, right, as well, that all these things feed in feminism, like the way that we've constructed our entire uh, culture, adultery, you know, sex in the city, you name it, all is constructed in such a way to exacerbate the, the, the curse in the garden, right? And that our, and our yes. world is completely upside down, and it's such a strict incrimination of it and a lot of people say, oh, don't go too hard on that. But your success proves that like people need to hear this stuff. Not only do they need to hear it, they want to hear it. And not just men, but women too. And that's, that's why I say I call it a paradox. It's like so many people are so resistant to this, but like, but like 6,000 followers <laughs> a, a month over the course of a year, is, it's wild. Yeah. And you've doubled yeah. that. You've doubled that. And, and really, I'm just saying obvious things like to go, right. to go back to what you were saying of it's such a stark contrast from what people are being told. And so they log on, they see someone say, you know, honor your husband. <laughs> what? Here are five ways you can honor your husband today. Burn it down. <laughs> and it's like, this is really not that novel, but yet yeah. it is so profound. Because what you have is women, you know, who watched their parents convey a completely opposite dynamic. Their mother never honored their father. Their mother ran the show with her emotions. Their, her father was unkind in return, like this whole thing. And so they go on social media and they see women saying, you know, respect your husband and mm-hmm. cook for your husband. It's like, what? <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, you tweeted, what did you, you tweeted, you posted on Instagram is where I saw it. You said, uh, normalize being nice to the person you married. And it's so funny. I tweeted that and I left it alone. I like forgot about it. And then I went on Twitter and I was like, oh, why do I have all these reshares? Oh, I guess people really resonate with, with this. Um, because yeah, like, um, I was watching, I found this page where this woman makes lunches for her husband and it's great. She just like, <laughs> she just puts the thing, time to make lunch for my husband. And she responds oh, to these, like, these stupid comments. Um, and I'm like, people are really out here angry because this woman made her husband a nice sandwich. Like they're angry about that. They're yeah. mad. And I mean, obviously there's going to be a lot, there, there's more going on, you know, if that kind of thing just, just deeply just bothers you so much. Um, but to realize that you don't really need to say, you don't need to do much to be really countercultural today. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the upheaval when I would talk about things that I would do for my husband, like I would dress a certain way for my husband, or I wouldn't wear makeup for my husband. The amount of messages I would get. Well, what about you? What about your personal preferences? What is he doing for you? What, I mean, it just (laughs) really draws out something in people. Well, let's, let's talk about the makeup issue. Cause I actually did get a message. I did get a message about that. Someone wrote to me, it's like, you know, uh, and, and I don't want to, I won't caricature the voice. It was a very sincere message. It's like, you know, uh, she doesn't represent a lot of moms out, out there. And, and I said, you know, it's not my, it's not my purpose to represent all the moms out there. Like I, I have conversations with people that I respect and that I think are making interesting contributions. And I don't think you're saying like, everyone needs to be just like me. Like, I, I think that you're living a certain way and using your life as an example, take from it what you will. But let's talk about the makeup issue. Let's talk about the clothes issue because, you know, makeup and clothes are a big part of, of um, let's say, women's culture in America today. And, and, and how did you resolve that? And how does that feel? And where are you at with it now? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I just kind of did whatever. I was never like big into makeup or like big into the beauty industry. Like that was just not, I mean, it's expensive sure. and whatever. Like I've maybe had two pedicures in my entire life. Like, but. Um, it was, again, to go back to the autonomy thing, I believe that women should be well-dressed and like putting a semblance, some effort into their appearance. But I like, I, I look at it through the context of their marriage, like, because, um, there's a lot of, and I'm not sure if this is the, the route you were going with this conversation, but, um, like, let's go that way. Let's go this way. Um, so you know, when I've talked about these things, I'll say, this is where I'm at, but do what honors your husband. If he likes you to wear makeup, I think you should wear makeup. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm not sure if that's how I don't represent mothers in the, in that I don't like, I don't have a, a real glamorous lifestyle whatsoever. Like I live with my parents. I don't wear makeup. I'm very simple. Um, but those are good things. Those are aspirin, maybe not for everyone living with the parents, but like the living a simple lifestyle, like a lot of people work real hard to live a simple lifestyle. Oh, they work really hard to live a simple lifestyle. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so, so with the, with the hair and makeup thing of like, um, I think that this is where maybe I diverge with the trad community or whatever. Okay. Um, and you know, it, and well, let me put it this way. I used to get really triggered by messages 
um, when women would make posts about like, look nice for your husband, put on some makeup before he goes home, he comes home, things like that. I used to get really triggered by that because I was like, but my husband (laughs) doesn't like that. And so, you know, and so now I can just like see it and be like, the principle is to look nice for your husband, like whatever that looks like in your marriage. Um, For him. For him, because that's the whole point. And so if someone sees me and says, she doesn't, you know, and I'm, that's fine. Like I, I'm sure I don't represent a lot of moms. Um, also don't like really talk about motherhood a whole lot because I'm very new, you know? Um, but, um, if someone sees my page and is like, no, no, it doesn't really fit the thing. I'm like, well, it fits what works for my husband. And that's the whole point I'm trying to get across. Mm -hmm. And that's a better point anyway. And that's the better point anyway, because, um, and, and you can hold that. I I've, I've learned to hold that piece without being judgmental of the woman who is, you know, puts a lot of time into her hair, her makeup, her appearance, her clothing. I can see that and be like, she's, I'm sure she is doing that out of honor for her husband. And she represents a certain segment and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and so just, just, just to be at peace with that. Um, but yeah, I, I had a lot of, um, it was a struggle for me because I mean, I have a history of eating disorder. Um, and so, you know, this whole topic of beauty, which is forefront of every woman's mind. Um, and so it was very difficult when I got married and it was like all the things that were beautiful to my husband were not beautiful societally. Mm. And so my, my praise my, God for that. And and like, yes. Right. And it's so funny because. I think there are women that would be like, that is amazing. Like mm-hmm. your husband thinks you're beautiful without makeup. That's so cool. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, yes, it is. But at the time I was like, it was basically who am I pleasing? Am I pleasing? Am I here to please my husband or am I here to please the world? And, um, and that was, I mean, it, it was, it was hard to realize that. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was, desiring more to, to please the world. Um, mm. so yeah, I don't know if that answers the question, but, um, with the whole makeup and that conversation, um, and this is something that, uh, Christiana and I have talked about, um, dear sister, if you're familiar with her. She's um, amazing. He's amazing. We've talked about this a lot is all of those conversations have to be had in the context of one's and mm. one's marriage, because really it's about, it's about making yourself beautiful for our, the man that you're married to and tuning out the voices of the world in order to do that well. And if that means that everyone around you is telling you to be like plain Jane and your husband wants you to put more effort into it, you need to tune out those voices. But in my case, I had to tune out like the entire beauty industry. I had to tune out the people that I was and just, and, and it's the, here's the thing too, that really gets people is it's not like my husband said, you must not wear makeup. <laughs> like, it's not like he came and said, this is a <laughs> commandment, right? Right. It was, I very much prefer when you don't. I still love you if you do, obviously, but I feel loved and I find you beautiful when you don't wear makeup and don't, you know, and grow your hair long and things like this. And so it wasn't that I was like, People are like, oh, so he just, you know, forced you to, 
No, he told me his preference and I, I chose to do that. But in order to do that with peace in my soul, I had to tune out a lot of voices and I still have to tune out a lot of voices. And that includes the entire sphere I'm in on social media, which really can emphasize things like, you know, external signs of beauty. So do you get what I'm saying? I do. Um, Yeah. So, and that's why, and that's why I, I, I look at it and I'm like, it's so ironic that like, well, it's just funny that God like gave me the platform he did because, um, it's just like the opposite <laughs> of, <laughs> but the point, it all goes back to that, that verse in first Peter, I mentioned, like, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And I also noticed, and this is sort of strange and maybe it's kind of like unprovable, but I actually like, as I started to heal in my marriage and like, and honor my husband's preferences. I started becoming more beautiful to myself. I don't know if I became more beautiful in anyone else's eyes, but I look at old pictures and I look at myself now and I'm like, I'm a much more beautiful woman. And that's because I'm not harboring that bitterness and it's because I'm submitting to my husband. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's the ultimate beauty. (laughs) Peace, like like a gentle, quiet spirit. And I think this is something... Um, what I, what I'm really, uh, I'm enjoying many things about this conversation, but one of the things that I'm really enjoying is getting a sense of the perspective of the number of fallen influences that women are subjected to. So you have the bitterness of women around you, let's set aside the own curse surfacing from, from within your own body and being in your own soul. Like you have the influences of women around you, you have cultural influences, you have the beauty industry that's portraying what beauty should be, right? That's telling you what beauty should be perhaps from some commercial angle. But my experience is, is that um, First Peter says it like a gentle and quiet, quiet spirit is probably the most beautiful thing in the universe to a man, right? And yeah. and and to achieve that for a woman to be like Alison Armstrong, who I love, she has a she has um, a great line in her book, The Queen's Code, about how men draw strength from a contented woman, and which wouldn't necessarily be obvious to him, like just a man being around a contented woman. And when I read that the first time, like it it, it like broke me because I recognized how true that was and how rare that I had experienced it. So it makes sense that as you find a place of peace within yourself or your being, your life, and, and the way that you've constructed your, your, the way you've constructed your life right now, that the beauty would naturally surface as opposed to trying to pretend in all these different directions the world is trying to drive you. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's well said. So, um, so, so talk a bit about that experience, the shift that you've felt from this phase of bitterness, like you must notice an everyday kind of difference in yourself. Like, yes, there are ups and downs and challenges, but like, what's your, what's your experience of being like, I guess you might say. Yeah. Um, oh man. How do I want to answer this? Well, let's, let's answer it two ways. You can answer it pre pre having a child and post, because I think there's probably going to be some amount of difference. There's some differences. Um, so this goes into other things. Um, my, my journey of becoming more peaceful and submission, submissive in my marriage has corresponded with my journey of becoming at peace with being a woman and really like leaning into my femininity. Um, and so I would say if we want to talk about where like having a child comes into this, um, 
it, it's interesting when I look back on the timing of everything because mm -hmm. 2020, June of 2020, I um, started my page. And December of 2020 was when my, my husband said, okay, I think we're ready to start trying to have a child. And so he obviously felt that kind of peace that he didn't feel before of oh, we're ready it. to start a family. And you got married so, in 2018. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and then April of, I think it was April, I got pregnant. And um, it's like life, like life came out of that peace because like that was when my husband was like, just all of a sudden was like, yeah, like we're ready, you know? And so, um, and then pregnancy. So we found out I was pregnant in the end of April. Yes. Um, sweetheart. Speaking of life coming out of peace. Speaking of life. Um, so the end of April, I found out I was pregnant and that entire, that entire year, um, I, I mean, I was very disconnected from like the pregnancy process in my first trimester. Um, I had very, very bad, like pregnancy denial. Like I didn't think it was real. And Never even heard that term before. Yeah, no, it was, it, and it was because. Is that a thing? I don't know. I think, I think that. Okay. I, I had convinced myself for so long, like, oh, we're never going to get pregnant. Like it just, oh, that when we actually did and it happened pretty fast, I was like, what? Um, and so yeah, it is that easy, you know, <laughs> um, but, but anyway, that's all to say. Um, so that entire year I, you know, I, pregnancy was like slowly me coming to, like I had embraced the submission part and then pregnancy was like embracing the womanhood part. And, um, I, you know, I was always really bothered before when I would see like birth photos or birth stories. Like I would like, like aggressively, like skip past it and like tell Instagram not to show me those things, <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. And, um, it was like so bothersome to me. And even after I got pregnant in my first trimester, like, sweetheart, are you getting tired? Um, Anyway, there's a point to this, but so it's okay. I had him January 1st. And so I look back on like the timing of it all. It's just amazing because December we started trying for a baby. And then, um, that 2021 was like coming to grips with like, God designed me to like give, like, you know, create life and, and give birth. And, and then he was born January 1st. Wow. Um, and, uh, it was just like this revival and, and that's his middle name is revival. Um, but anyway, um, so to answer your question, like what came out of it? Well, like life came out of it and like also me embracing being a woman, like, and that was, I don't know if you've seen my slides that I did on femininity. Um, but those ones. Those ones? What have you seen? Those that? ones, those slides that you wrote about. Oh. Femininity. <laughs> those, <laughs> those. Sorry, <laughs> okay. like, it's a highlight now. It was just like oh, okay. Um, <laughs> in it, I, I talk about like that. The word that comes to mind when I think of of embracing your womanhood and, and you know and your feminine roles in marriage and all that. The word is surrender, 
You just Mm. have to surrender. And so um, I'm still surrendering. It's not like I have completely surrendered everything. There's still times when I'm like, whoa, I still have a grip on this, Lord. And this is really hard to open my hands. Um, But yeah, fostering that peace in my marriage and that submissive spirit and like actually just loving my husband for the sake of loving him. Um, and then, you know, our child and, and it it really culminated in like giving birth. And that was just like, okay, like I'm, I'm surrendering like God, you made me the way you made me by the grace of God. I am who I am. And that was January 1st, which is just like crazy. Um, he was due Christmas born January 1st. So I hope that answered your question. It did more info than no that's that's perfect that when you there's a phrase that stuck out for me at at peace with being a woman and uh that's there's a lot there's a lot in there you know the same say more about that about being at peace with being a woman it's absolutely beautiful yeah so i think that the best way to describe this is um when i was 13 or 14 my family went to So it was me and I have four siblings, but it was just me and my brother and my parents. We took a trip to Las Vegas. And um, I remember walking down the streets and it's a very disgusting city. You know, there's all these Mm -hmm. advertisements for prostitution and like, it's like the perversion of everything good. And I remember we were walking down the streets and I was 13 or 14 and I just broke down crying. And I said, I don't want to be a woman. I don't want to be a woman. (laughs) And, um, or why did God make me a woman? It was, it was intense. And like, just because being there just triggered something. And, um, I just started weeping and, um, I had moments like that. Um, I can, I can remember that one very distinctly, but I remember having moments like that where, um, I would just start crying because I just didn't like the way God made me. And I think that ultimately manifested itself in my eating disorder. Um, and like, that was just like the physical manifestation of me striving and fighting, fighting my womanhood. Um, because I actually lost my period. I didn't have a period for two years when I was in my eating disorder. And wow. so, I mean, that was the, the visible or the, you know, the tangible manifestation of me striving and fighting because, um, yeah, I wasn't even functioning like a woman hormonally. And so coming to, coming to grips with my womanhood has been yes, mental and spiritual, but it's also been physical. Yeah. I got, I started getting my period back when, um, I started to like eat more and have more healthy relationships. And that was a physical manifestation of me being okay with being a woman. Um, and so it's like, you know, we don't understand just how much the mind and the body and the spirit are all, are all connected in this. And, um, and so I would say I, for the, I mean, even when I started my page, um, there were still difficulties. Like I would say I still hadn't really surrendered a lot of things. Um, sorry, he's moving the, it's cute. 
as long as he's happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. But, um, but, but, but all this to say when, when I started my page, I mean, I was, I was still healing from a lot of these, these things. Um, and so embracing being a woman has one embracing that God gave my body the ability to sustain life and to birth life. Um, and that was something that when I was, you know, at war with myself, that could not have happened physically. I was not able to. Right. Mm. Um, and then also like babies come out of healthy marriages because couples are in love. Like that's just the way it is. I mean, you know, obviously there's just as a general rule. Um, and so it's like, you just, I would say like my journey of embracing a woman has had so many of, of embracing being a woman has had so many physical manifestations of that. Like, and so, um, you know, like, like I always had short hair, like for some reason. And then it's like, finally, like, I can't picture you with short hair. <laughs> and like, I just like, like, sorry. <laughs> um, it's okay. started growing my hair long. Right. Like, and, um, you know, and now like just, eating in a very nourishing way. And like, it's just, I love this discussion because, because when we embrace who we are, if, if a woman is embracing who she is as a woman, it's not just a mental ascent that she has. And then it clicks and she goes, yes, I like being a woman. Like, no, it manifests itself. Like, you know, and like wearing skirts and wearing dresses and just like being okay. Like wearing girly clothes, like, Oh, so many things. So, and it's funny because those are like the stereotypical, like, you know, femininity, yeah, like femininity isn't wearing skirts and dresses. And I'm like, yes, I recognize that femininity was innate to me. It was, it was my birthright as a woman. I simply had to surrender to it. And mm. then I started doing the things that were more stereotypically feminine. Funny yes. how that works. Um, because, you know, people will, you know, well, you're portraying femininity as like this cookie cutter thing. And I'm like, oh, trust me. It's anything but cookie cutter. But um, where did that go? Okay. But but when I embraced it, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I don't know what that Kid is. Kid life. Um, you know, I've been thinking about time travel again. Oh, no. Is a roadblock with invisibility? <laughs> Okay. It's okay. You got a baby there. No, it was Big Bang Theory from what we were watching last night. Oh wow. I'm laughing. Okay. You were so silly. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so what were we talking about before we got totally derailed by We're talking about surrendering to femininity. The femininity is not the outward performance, but an inward <laughs> state of being. I just love that this is the most chaotic. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so it's not the outward performance, but when I when I um, embraced it internally, then I was free to like wear the skirts and grow my hair long. Like because because yeah, why not? Like <laughs> right. Um, it's fun. It's fun, and it's fun. I've heard. Um, it's fun to be different than my husband. Like it's fun for him to have a beard and short hair and for me to have long hair and wear skirts. Like it's just fun. And, 
and it's just it's 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 enjoyable and it comes out of um the internal peace and the internal surrendering um so yeah that's that's how and i think that's where thing these discussions they tend to get so res- low resolution it's like yeah you're, you're not just gonna grow your hair long and put a skirt and and go you know walking in a sundress through a field you know and congratulations you're feminine it's like well that makes for a nice instagram post but like are you really embodying it? And, and and when you said at peace with being a woman and surrendering to femininity like it's one thing to 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 do to act the act right but it's another thing to really make peace with yourself make peace with god make peace with men make peace with your husband and and be a part of that and then see what comes out of that rather than adopting the uniform right yeah and 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 even like most people would say, yeah, I don't have a stereotypical, like feminine way of expressing myself. Um, but it's like, it's so interesting to me that if a man thinks he's a woman, he puts on the uniform and everyone affirms him. Right. That's funny. And the woman that wears like cargo pants and a t-shirt and doesn't brush her hair will still look like a woman in a way that he cannot ever. Um, but, but at the same time, like, I, I think it kind of goes both ways because I surrendered and then I started to embody a more feminine appearance, but I also started to embody a more feminine appearance before I completely surrendered. And so like, it was, right. it, it was both because there was a sense in which I was like, I aspire to something that I'm not internally aligned up with just yet, but because because I want to get there. I, I will in advance just start. I, I don't know how to explain that. Like it's still coming from a desire to be, um, truly feminine. Um, but, but yeah, we, we, we seek to embody the things that we look up to. And then we also, when we embody it, it flows out. So I, I guess I would say it's both. Yeah. Well, it's like the, the saying, like fake it, fake it until you make yeah. it. Right. But like a lot of people forget about the whole like making it part, like you're faking it in a way, like don't just fake it. You have to actually be, yeah, exactly. Well, a lot of people will just fake it, right? It's, it's really easy. You know, it's really easy to put on the sundress or in the men's case to get like super fit. Right. Right, right. And then you post a bunch of stuff on Instagram. It's like, congratulations, I'm feminine. Congratulations, I'm masculine. It's like, well, are you actually like, are you actually embracing these sort of, um, biblical or christian christian gender roles because biblical gender roles are not the same as christian if you if you want to put them down or whatever that's totally fine by the way um yeah i might like i might just here we pause it for a second yeah for sure okay um cool hopefully he goes to sleep um that's fine sorry about all the it's it's no nothing nothing to apologize for because it, it it lends the whole thing character. Like this is the point, right? This is the point about being a wife. This is the point about being a mother, about being feminine. Like you're doing yeah. the thing. Like it just all adds to it, right? Okay. Well, I, I love that perspective. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we were we were saying something about what was it? It was um um uh, faking it until you make it. Oh, faking it until you make it and um uh wearing the sundress and whatever, whatever. I was gonna say something about that. Um what was it? You were saying something about biblical Christian gender roles. Yeah. How about how biblical gender roles are not the same as Christian gender roles? Because there are a lot of people, there are a lot of guys on Twitter, especially like 
polygamy is biblical, bro. I'm like, it's biblical, but it's not Christian, dork. Right. Oh yeah, no, the 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 Twitter, um, some of the stuff I've seen, I was like, <laughs> women, women aren't made in the image of God. And I'm like, I think this is just a troll account. Like, I don't yeah. think this is like like I think it's just trying to make people look bad who <laughs> anyway. Um <laughs> oh, so so uh putting on a putting on a mask. Yeah, so I don't know where I was going with that, but That's if you fine. want to go to the next, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's totally fine. I mean, it was it's just a matter of like I think a lot of people um a lot of people will mistake the outward performance for inner transformation. Like yes. cha- the the distinction that I've heard is change and transformation are, are not the same thing. Change happens on the outside, transformation happens on the inside, but they play into each other, right? It's not just right. enough. Like if you're not expressing your if you're not expressing your inner transformation outwardly, it might still be going on but you can accelerate it by expressing it outwardly. Right. Yes. And they feel yes, that, that's what I was kind of getting at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't want to wait until I felt feminine or like, I didn't want to wait until it was easy because I, some people will message me and they'll say, I want to wear more skirts and dresses, but I feel uncomfortable. And I think some mm-hmm. people would be like, some people would say, well, then just don't wear more skirts and dresses until you feel comfortable in it. And I'm like, there's a reason you feel uncomfortable with it. But the good news is you can grow to feel less uncomfortable with it. You can grow to feel unco- to feel comfortable with it. Um, examine like, you know, maybe you just never had any role models that dressed feminine and all the women in your life were very aggressive, A-type, um, you know, dressed like business women or whatever. And so you just never had that soft, gentle, feminine way of dressing modeled for you. And so it's uncomfortable. Right. And you can sit with that discomfort, but um, I'm not going to wait until you feel like you don't have to wait until you feel like you've elusively arrived. Um, and so, like, I, I actually love the phrase fake it till you make it in the sense that, like, you, you're striving higher because you want to be higher. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about your eating disorder? Because I listened to that podcast and I was very... Um... Again, I, I feel very, uh, very blessed by um, your bravery and your honesty in talking about these things, particularly because uh, I've, I think I saw someone mention this. It might have been Dear Sister, but mention women's accountability that um, I did see it this past week where it's like women have to learn what accountability is. It's really, really important because men can't take on all the accountability. So you saying I was doing this, I was treating my husband this way. He didn't deserve it. I made these choices like that's accountability. And accountability transforms us. Only trans- accountability transforms us. So I appreciate you bringing these up because I think it's a great model to be able to say for so many women who are very afraid of saying the simple words like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Yeah. Like, that's very difficult. But but in saying that, it, you're, it liberates. It, it totally liberates. Oh. And you, yeah, go ahead. Yes. Um, and so do you want me to talk about my eating disorder in, in, in regards to that or like... Um... Well, to, to go to what you were saying there, like with, with just being willing to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Like humility is, it is, and I'll I'll just give you a story. When I was growing up, my dad, like when sometimes he would get too angry or he would yell at us or whatever, he would come later that night and like knock on our doors and be like, I'm sorry, I spoke wrongly to you. Like, I'm sorry, I spoke unkindly to you. Will you forgive me? And, um, of course we did. And so I always had that modeled for me growing up that like, 
humility with strength. Mm. And so I, I see that too, with accountability of like, there is no weakness in just saying I have messed up. Um, and, but that comes from like my knowledge of being forgiven in the gospel. Like that's, yes, that's not an isolated thing. And so I think when people are like, you're expecting me to like own my mistakes, they haven't been forgiven of their mistakes. So how are they going to own them? But like, I have been forgiven of the way that I've treated my husband. I continue to be forgiven when I do not treat him well. And so I'm free to come on here and say, I have messed up because I'm not attaching it to like who I am or my identity. And, you know, it's like Charles Spurgeon has this quote, if any man thinks ill of you, don't be offended because you're far worse than he thinks you are. And I love that quote. I love Oof. it. So and that was, that was liberating for me too. Cause when people would come and be like, you've said this thing in a very unkind manner. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I probably did. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really okay. Um, to just, uh, to, to talk about these things. Like, obviously vulnerability has like, you have to be vulnerable in the right context. Right. Um, because it is a strong and powerful thing in the right context. And then it's a dangerous thing in the wrong context. But, yes. um, and so, you know, I've probably overshared, I've probably done that, but try to, to make my vulnerability beneficial to people um, and not vulnerability for the sake of vulnerability um, or for the sake of, I just want to feel known by strangers. It's like, okay, I have God, I have my husband, I have my family. And so my vulnerability has to be, there has to be a purpose here. So with the, with the eating disorder, like I think I started sharing about that not sure if my podcast was one of the first times I shared about that. Um, but yeah, I've gotten some, some great messages about that. I mean, it's, it's one of those things I think ties really well into the femininity sphere because there's a lot of reasons people develop eating disorders, mm -hmm. but a, a lot of women develop it around the time they're going through puberty and their bodies are changing. And it's like, you're trying to turn back the clock because you don't want to be don't want to advance. And, and, and really? I mean, a lot of women develop them earlier than that. And women also develop it later. But as I've been processing it, when I'm thinking about this here, it's like you women start to develop that awareness of themselves. And so I think that this, this movement that we're seeing on social media and, you know, of women, like learning, like how to eat and properly nourish themselves and what is, is normal um, you know, not like fat positivity, but really just sure. embracing your womanliness. Like as I've been processing that, I'm like, yeah, like I, I couldn't accept that I was changing. So I tried to turn it back. Like, <laughs> wow. and so, um, I think it goes very well with the discussion of womanhood and femininity. Um, because yeah, if you're not, if you're not eating well and you don't have a period and you can't carry life, you can't sustain life. You don't, you don't have energy to be you know, the person God calls you to be. So, um, so yeah, I, I developed that. I started developing it around, I mean, my first awareness of it was like sixth grade, um, which is very early. Yeah. Um, and I started to just like participate in behaviors. Like I would just like go two days without hardly eating. And then I would like just eat a bunch and like go back to normal, but it was always like very sporadic. And then when I was 15. Um, when I was 16, um, I, I started to like really start to like 
get hyper fixated on like my calories and my diet or whatever. Um, and it was like super restrictive. And like some days I was eating like 800, 900 calories a day. Um, wow. and much. yeah, like I, I was like, I don't know, like 15 pounds less than I am now, maybe, um, mm. which when you're five, three is, is kind of a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I know like I was, I was, uh, I just remember it, it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And like, I, it, I remember this, this one time I went on a bike ride with my brother and like, it's Arizona. It's not that cold in the winter, but we went on a bike ride and I came back from that bike ride and I just like had no feeling in my extremities. Mm. And I just remember like sitting in the bath, trying to warm up crying because my body couldn't regulate its temperature. Um, so I had a few moments where I was like, okay, this is getting really, really bad. And they started talking about, you know, doing more like, like concentrated, um, care. Um, but I started to, I, I mean, it wasn't a long lived eating disorder. Some women like struggle for years and years and years. I would say it was a concentrated year of like intense struggle. Um, but when I started to heal, I was going to a new church. I had started making new friends. This was around the time I met my husband. Um, and like, I had left a very academically rigorous school and was attending, like I was just finishing high school at a very easy school just so I could focus on healing. And, um, and so I just started rewiring my brain. Like you are not treating yourself well, you need to eat now. And I would just tell myself over and over and over again, like the things that I needed to do until I believed it. Um, and I would say what, like what really changed things was my friend and I started reading through revelation of all books, of all books, and like talking about like Jesus coming back on a white horse and the blood is like up to the horse's bridle. And I'm reading all this. And I'm like, I was like trying to reconcile my eating disorder with like God's eternal purpose of glor glorification and like restoring all things. And I was, I was like, just thinking about it. I was like, I'm wasting a lot of time on this in light of oh, eternity. Wow. Um, and so that was when I, that was like one of the really, um, uh, yeah, integral, integral parts of my recovery. So anyway, when I started healing, um, I still hadn't gotten my period back and, um, I got it back. Um, that was a pinnacle moment in my life because, um, and do you mind if I share the story? Please go ahead. Okay. Um, so, uh, because this goes, this goes into, you know, embracing womanhood and all that. But, um, so I was recovering, I was eating more, I was, you know, in a healthier mental space, but I still hadn't got my period back. So I was like trying to get help from like doctors and stuff, but the, the allopathic world wasn't being super helpful. Um, <laughs> and, go what, what? <laughs> really? So, I'm offended. Um, yeah. So anyway, so, um, I saw a naturopath who like figured out everything in like 20 minutes of talking to me and actually hearing my story. But, um, anyway, I, I was up, I was dating a guy at the time that I didn't end up marrying. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but, um, so I, I went up north to Northern Arizona to visit a friend and I was staying with a friend and 
I remember expressing my concerns because I was dating this guy at the time. And so for the first time in my life, I was thinking, oh, maybe I'd like to have children one day. Um, you know, novel thought because yeah. I hadn't thought really about that. Um, yeah, it's not I really had, on your mind at that age. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, a lot of women at 16, 15, 16 are thinking about growing up and having families. I was not. I was completely disconnected from that. And so having a period, I also didn't have like the necessary hormones to even be thinking about that. Um, but anyway, okay. I was, I was dating this guy. And so I was like, oh, I, I would like to, um, like to have a family one day. So I'm kind of concerned that I, I don't have a period because that I can't have children. She was like, well, let's just like pray about it. And, um, and so that night I just felt randomly like, oh, I should listen to first Samuel. I had no idea what was in first Samuel. Okay. I just was like, I'm just randomly going to listen to it. And she was like, why don't we listen to first Samuel? And I was like, Oh, you're thinking the same thing. Like it was very random. That's yeah. Or not random at all. And not random at all. In the beginning of first Samuel, it's Hannah crying out to the Lord for a son. Mm -hmm. And she cries out to the Lord for the son and, and God blesses her womb and gives her a son. So I fell asleep that night listening to that. And I just kind of, I was like, Lord, it'd be your will someday. have like, I'd like to have children. I woke up the next morning, had breakfast, got my period for the first time in two years. Gore. So, so in that morning, I just had this mental image of my husband, my current husband and sons. And that was like something I've clung on to for years because it was like, okay, Lord, like, I don't know if this is like going to happen, but you know, this is just, I, it was just this pinnacle moment of, you know, I got my period back and I just had this image in my mind of this family. I saw this family. And, um, and so, and it had been completely regular ever since no problems whatsoever. Um, and so I, I love, I love my eating disorder story because it's also my womanhood story. It's also my motherhood story. It's also my falling in love with my husband story. And it's just all so intertwined. Um, and so, yeah, that's, and, 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 uh, I'd like to do a more in-depth podcast, really hashing that out for people. Um, because I've had people say like, talk more about motherhood. You're like, you don't really talk about motherhood. And I'm like, it's still such a vulnerable thing. Like it's still yeah. so intense for me. Um, because because it's a story of the way I mistreated myself for years. It's the story of how I disconnected from myself. It's a story of how I didn't want children and God completely changed my heart. Um, and to see where I'm at now with this beautiful son, it's like, what? <laughs> because going down the trajectory I was going, you know, I probably would have just ended up like just, you know, extremely malnourished. Like, I, I mean, it was terrible. It was terrible. So, um, and here I am. So, wow. I mean, what strikes me about that is, is, um, you know, I think you had said that you were, you were rebelling. I, I, I didn't know that about women's eating disorders that they come on at puberty as a rejection of womanhood. I never well, would have put, I literally just thought about that. So cool. don't like, um, okay, so I don't go run this... out there and make a whole thing out of it. Yes. Um, so don't run out there and make a whole thing about it. But I remember like, I mean, it was like, I, I know that sometimes women who have been 
uh, sexually violated will develop binge eating disorder and become overweight as like a mechanism. Um, and so obviously these traumas can, can affect that. And so I, I'm, I'm just sort of thinking or like talking about it as I, as it comes to mind, um, because it was that awareness of me changing and becoming a woman that brought about the thoughts of like, this isn't good because I mean, when from age, like, I don't know, 10 to 16 or whatever, like you're gaining so much weight at a time because your body's getting ready to maybe support a life someday. I mean, there's so much going on. And if you're not properly educated, you, you know, nobody really talked to me that much about it. And so it was like, oh, I need to stop this. Like I, this, <laughs> this isn't good, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think that that could be the reason that there are, you know, so many infertile couples. I say that sensitively and, um, but it's just like, yeah, we, we weren't taught to, to treat ourselves as women. We were taught to, I mean, trying to stay in girlhood and not move on to womanhood. Um, and then what better way to do that than to basically starve yourself? I don't know. I don't know. Makes a lot of sense. It makes sense to me. So, yeah. Men, I'll cut right to it. There's probably something missing from your life, and I bet you don't even know. And that is a mission or purpose. A mission is more than a job, a career, or even a vocation or hobby. It's bigger than that. It's a godly pursuit that underlies all your most significant thoughts, words, and actions. If you seek to lead your family and your household, your purpose is the direction you're leading yourself in, and therefore your family undertakes the journey with you. Your purpose takes you beyond yourself, challenges you to expand your self-concept, confront your fears, acquire new skills, forge durable bonds of friendship and brotherhood, and, most importantly, helps you contribute to the rebuilding of civilization. If that sounds too good to be true, it isn't. Because your purpose is a gift. But here's the catch. To receive that gift, you must be ready for it. And that is the nature of my coaching. I'm a man who has been blessed with a purpose, and it's more than just this podcast. I've got something I'm working on behind the scenes that I know you're going to love. And pursuing that purpose has taught me the secrets of what it takes to cultivate the purpose. Now I want to pass it on to you. And to do that, we have work to do. Email me at info at renofmen.com to start the conversation and schedule a free 30-minute consultation. Mention the code word PURPOSE and I'll offer 10% off a 12-week package. I'll also let you in on my top secret purpose behind the scenes so you can see that I know what I'm talking about. Once again, email me at info at renofmen.com and mention the code PURPOSE to get 10% off a 12-week package. I started the Renaissance of Men to help men become the best versions of themselves through self-knowledge. If that sounds like you or the version of yourself you want to be, email me and let's get started. Well, men have this thing, well, it shows up in both men and women, but I lived in San Francisco and was where I first heard the term. It's like Peter Pan syndrome, like a little boy, like a, like a, a, a young adult human male right, can, can construct his life in such a way as to never get married, never have kids, you know, and, and men and women can get married and do that dual income, no, no kids kind of lifestyle. And it's this Peter Pan syndrome, like, I don't want to give up my some form of extended adolescence to actually step into the responsibilities of motherhood and fatherhood. And, yeah. um, and that makes a lot of sense that this 
there there would be like a deep a deep psychological rebellion spiritual rebellion that would even manifest in um if only in you but i i would be surprised if you're alone in this in depriving your body of the nutrients it needs to be able to take that step as a way yeah. of like knee as a way of kneecapping yourself you know from that maturation process and being able to and and completely hiding what it's about you know yeah. what i mean like no one would ever say oh she has an eating disorder it's like it's not about rejecting rejecting motherhood no one would ever think that it's like the per- it's like a perfect way of right. going about it almost yeah right yeah and 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 i think too like it's hiding signs of femininity like and you see that with all the androgynous clothing that's like mm-hmm. a box you know like can't let anyone know that I'm a woman or can't let anyone know that you're a man. Like obviously within modesty. Um, but there's, there's like this, I'm going to check on my son real quick. Cause sure. <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. Okay. He put himself to sleep, which is great. Um, oh, good. but yeah, no, there's this, there's these, I was listening to this podcast and they were just talking about these androgynous styles and it's like they they managed to be, <laughs> what they were saying that I thought was interesting. They managed to be like sensual and immodest while still being androgynous. And it was like only like this degenerate, corrupt world can come up with this kind of stuff. Like, did they say it like of, it was a compliment or did they say it was a criticism? That, like, they were like, like it's a criticism of like, okay. of just like the, the absurdity of the way it's like the, the, the clothing that's designed for women now is it designed to like be androgynous and like almost masculine but still like <laughs> sensual and immodest. It's like, I don't know how they come up with this. Anyway, I just thought about that. But evil geniuses. Evil geniuses, right? Um, so anyway, yeah, it, it's, it's so interesting to me. I'm like, I don't know why I had such a hard time embracing my womanhood or whatever. And I've talked to people with a variety of experiences. And it's interesting to me just how many people have struggled with it because I'm like, where does this come from? You know, I had a very healthy family. I had, you know, a feminine mother who raised five children and was a stay at home mom for many years. Like, where do these ideas come from? Um, and, and yeah, I, 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 I would love to talk more about it because I think it could make people feel less alone where they're like, I know God made me this way. Um, but I am struggling to surrender to it. That's that's very helpful for me because I come from a background like before I was Christian, I was very much into psychology and inner transformation and inner healing, which I still think has a has a lot of value to it. And I was talking to the friends who baptized me because I've been trying to understand the intersection between Christianity and we'll say humanistic psychology. Um, where do they overlap and where do they and where do they mm-hmm. differ? Because I know they do differ. And what my friends told me is that they said the um, the humanistic psychology world says that life writes on us, right? And we have to undo the writing of life onto us, trauma, childhood trauma, stuff like that. Um, but she's, they said that in Christianity, your sin nature writes on life, and it goes the other mm-hmm. way. And so that really got me. It took me a while to understand. Um, Barb, who who told me this, uh, she was one of the women who baptized me, introduced me to Christ as well. Um, it took me a while to understand that, but the more that I thought about it, you know, we're talking about the curse in the garden, right, and and all that stuff. You know, that's sort of what 
the, es the essence of it is, is that there might not be anything in your past that you could identify as like having cause, quote unquote, caused that, right? But it just kind of came out of you naturally as part of maybe your own unique sin nature that you had to overcome that can't be tied to anything. It's no one's quote unquote fault. It's just, right. it's part of you that surfaced and that needed, uh, that needed to die on the cross and, and be redeemed. Yes. And, and I think because there's a, a segment of, uh, well, there's just this whole sphere of thought that is obsessed with unpacking traumas yeah, and digging deep and just continually digging and digging and digging. And in some ways it's almost like a deflection from actually having to just come face to face with yourself and be like, I'm the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. And I know, um, he, Brendan Schmidt has sent some, some really, is it Schmidt or Schmidt? anyway, um, Schmidt. masculine yeah. revival. <laughs> yes. Um, but he said some really good things about introspection and this, just this unhealthy navel gazing. Yeah. Um, I think he called it. So, um, so yeah. And, 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 and so I look back, I look at myself as like the perfect example of that. I'm yes, obviously there were things in, in my life and my childhood, everyone has things, right. Mm. But a lot of it's just sin nature internally. And God gave me this story and he's redeeming it. So. Mm -hmm. And that's the beautiful part about it is that, you know, you've, you've gone through these significantly challenging events, whether it be your eating disorder, whether your own experience of your own we'll say un, un, uh, unattributable bitterness that um, rather than suppressing them, right, denying they didn't happen or rather than celebrating them, you know, like shout your abortion, not that you had an abortion, but that's a whole thing, you know, where it's like celebrate, celebrate your bitterness towards men. You get them, girl, cut them off of the knees or whatever. Rather than celebrating these right. things, you, you, help, you, you sacrifice them at the altar. You know, you died to self and, and, and now you don't have any attachment to it anymore. So you can express it in this really clear way that I know, uh, I know for a fact without actually knowing for a fact, but I know for a fact that women need to hear because mm -hmm. there's, there's so few voices like yours willing to talk about eating disorders. Like eating disorders are like, it, it, most people turn it into a medical problem rather than a, right. a, a spiritual problem, yes. right? Or bitterness is a social problem, not a spiritual problem. But, you, but, you've, but, but you've identified the source of these within yourself and you put it out there for people to consider. Yeah. Yeah. So as you've, as you've gone on this content creation journey, and as you've discovered that, you know, you, your experiences are shared with women across the generations older and, and presumably younger for you, like what's been your favorite part of this? Oh yeah. I, I look back on the earlier days of my page as being, my favorite days. <laughs> uh -huh, sure. um, and it was sort of like sub 10,000 followers, but, every, but the followers were very engaged. Um, and so I had more bandwidth, um, for individual people. And, um, like I would do these lives where we just talk and, oh, I just, I look back on that so, so fondly. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's the connection with people, obviously that is the best part. Um, but what I've noticed and it's like, we're all going through the same basic things mm. and 
people are looking for someone to articulate it for them and to give a name to it and to say, yes, that is what I'm, I'm going through. And so to be able to provide that for people, I love that. Like to be able to like say, let's talk about bitterness. And women are going, I didn't even, I just, yeah, I've had this attitude towards my husband and you're right. That's what it is. And like it, and you can just say it for, for what it is. And to see that light bulb moment, um, is so, it it just brings me so much joy. And to have the messages coming in from women saying, I, since following your page, my marriage is so much better. My husband and I are so much happier. Um, and like also to see women taking responsibility for themselves, even if their husbands aren't. And to, to realize that this movement isn't about trying to make your husband different. It is about you working on yourself. (laughs) Um, and so, so those are just wonderful messages, um, that I receive regularly from women. Yeah. Can we talk about that? That what you just mentioned about, um, because I get a lot of messages from women. How do I get my husband to step up? Right. It's a whole subject of conversation, and um, it's a very complicated question with no sing- with no single silver silver bullet answer. Um, I have some th- ideas, but I'm I'm curious because it, it sounds like um, you speak from a position of authority to women that I don't know that I could necessarily claim. Like a woman writes to me and, sa- and says, "Why won't my husband step up?" Well, my my expertise is in men, so right. I'm going to give her. You know, I'm going to take her at face value. Right. Which I shouldn't always do, but I do it anyway. Take her at face value and say that, okay, let's just assume that you're telling the truth and and he's the only, he's the only problem. Probably not, but still, um, what, how to, how to speak to men to call forth the best in them versus like, I don't know. I don't know that I could as authoritatively say, well, maybe you need to work on yourself first. (laughs) That'd be right. But like, but that's, that's why the Renaissance of men and the Renaissance women exist because we're, we're tackling two halves of the problem with their own individual expertise from our own experiences. So if maybe if you could say some of the answers that you give to some of these women, because that was very powerful for me to hear. It's like, part of it is like, you have to work on yourself and don't worry so much about him in some ways. Yeah. And, and that's like, people will message me looking for the magic pill. <laughs> right. People, they want me to say something that's going to make all the stars align and just click. And um, and I see it all the time and I recognize it because I used to do that of like, I remember like being in a hard place and I reached out to like the transformed wife and I was like, she's going to have the answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is before I started my page. Um, but she's awesome by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I recognize that when people are reaching out and they're like, please give me the answer. And something I like to say is like, I, I just present this, this universal truth, which is you can't change anybody else. And that truth can either make you so mad and just frustrate you to no end and get, put you on the spinning hamster wheel. You can do that with that, or you can work on focusing on yourself. And I think it is a merciful and loving thing to tell people that because if they're still thinking I can change my husband, like they're going to be very, very frustrated. And I see this, and I wanted to articulate this in a post of like, when you come across marriage advice, that is in order to work, it, it requires that you change your husband or change his behavior, run from it. Mm. Because 
it's not offering you anything sustainable and it's not offering you something that is, it's, it's just going to drive you deeper and deeper into frustration. So that's the first thing is like, just asking them, like, I mean, just showing them, can you change anyone else? Like, can you change another person? Can you change your boss? Can you change? Why do you think you can change your husband now? Show them that and then show them the beautiful thing, which is your, as it says in first Peter three, your pure and respectful conduct may win your husband without a word. And so, and that's what it says in first Peter three is like, um, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Right. And I'm like, this, this is the key right here in this text. You can't, you know, if your husband's being disobedient to the word, or maybe he's just not being the husband you want him to be. Okay. We, we don't, you know, maybe he's just down and out. Well, how could he possibly be? How could, how could a man ever possibly be 100% of what what a woman wants? Like that's just. Exactly. Right. Um, and, and yeah. So, you know, I, I bring them to that verse and that are, because a lot of times speaking from experience, if I want to change something about my husband, I try to talk his ear off into changing, which is silly, <laughs> right? That's not work. Um, and so it's so interesting to me that Peter literally says they may be one without a word. It's like, you don't need your many words and you don't need your convincing arguments and you don't need your, I'm smarter than you and you should listen to me spiels. Like, <laughs> wow, not going to work. <laughs> you wouldn't you want it to that. either. And, 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 and like, I have noticed when I get into that place where I'm like trying to verbally assert why he should change or whatever, like I'm, I'm, I'm becoming just an unpleasant, aggressive person to be around. Mm. It's just like, it's, it's, it's a zero sum game. Yeah. Um, so, and so showing them that they may be one without a word by the pure, by their pure and respective, respectful conduct. So start there. Like then. Try that out for a while, then come back. And, and truly, if by your conduct, you are being respectful and loving and kind and, um, and, and just living in harmony, like seeking to live in peace with your husband, as far as it depends on you, then come back to me. Um, because, and, and, and this is the other thing too, is like, so many women will reach out wanting the magic pill. And I'm like, do you have a local church and like, like, are you, are you involved in a, you know, (laughs) um, these conversations don't happen in a vacuum. And so people reach out and I'm like, sounds like neither you or your husband have any sort of community or accountability. Like that's your first problem. And so I can give you some verses that apply, but the problem is greater than he won't help you with, et cetera, like whatever. Um, so yeah, I think there, there is also room for, um, you know, looking at it case by case, because sometimes someone will come to me and they're like, I'm just tired. Like I do the dishes every night. And it's like, well, find a way to be joyful doing the dishes. Like it's really okay. You know, that's different than, (laughs) that's different than (laughs) someone coming to me and going, you know, my husband has this alcohol addiction I, and that's where I'm going to go. Oh, right. are you involved in a local church? Like, do you have accountability? Are there people like, cause I, I'm on the other side of the world behind a screen. Yeah. I can't do anything for you here. Um, so anyway, case by case basis and really 
really pointing out that behavior thing because, and, and the way that you can make it make sense to women is to just say, let's say that like, you know, maybe they have an angry husband and let's say all of a sudden he started, he stopped speaking in this harsh, aggressive, angry way and became very tender and loving. Would that change you? Well, of course it would. Like maybe. Oh, I yeah, mean, okay. I see. You see what I'm saying? Of like, yeah. if, if, if you, I mean, yes, sometimes women are so embittered that their husband, and I'm not talking about the husband being the nice guy all of a sudden. That's not what I'm referring to. Right. Yeah. I'm saying if there's, guy. Yeah. 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 If there's a, if there's a serious anger problem or whatever, and you know, this man repents of it and he starts treating his wife in this loving, you know, still firm, um, but loving and tender way that is going to impact her. And so why don't we think the same will happen? Like, no, we don't change people, but we do respond to stimuli. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, And so, because of course your husband's going to react differently if you treat him with a loving, speak to him lovingly and respectfully, and you actually smile at him and you're actually interested in hearing what he has to say, of course, that's going to make a difference versus ignoring him, quick, snarky responses, you know, trying to assert yourself, blah, blah, blah. So that's my point is like, just think about every other normal human interaction in your life. There's this, you sense how someone is treating you and you change your response and reaction to that. So why not in your marriage? Like, yeah, I hope that made sense. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. That's, that, that's a, that's a great answer. I, you know, I was, um, this conversation comes up in various forms at least once a week. And I was out um, getting coffee with a friend of mine from church named Amber, shout out Amber. And we were having this very conversation about like, how do we like, like try, like quote unquote, trying to get men to change. And like just trying to unpack it because I was, uh, I don't remember how, how it came up, but it was very much related because I've, I'm having the conversation in other ways as well with, with guys during the week and stuff like that. And I think we had come to a similar conclusion that, that rather than stepping into the space and saying to your husband, you know, you have to be like this and this and this and lecturing and laying a, like an accountability plan and all that, like, that's just not going to work. That's not going to land for most men. And you wouldn't want to be with a man who that it did land for. Right. right. <laughs> you wouldn't respect him anyway. Oh, that sounds like a great plan, honey. I think I'll do that. It's like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to say yes. To right, that, right. 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 But if you step out of the space and you, and you create an environment that welcomes him to step into it and you're, and you're, and, and as a woman, you're receptive, that calls forth the best in him that he may not necessarily um, have ever experienced before. Yeah. Right. Rather than coming in from over the top, or you're just like, you, you're kind of, it's not even, it's not even like a top down, bottom up kind of approach. It's like, it's like, I'm going to create the opportunity for you to step up and, and be the hero yeah. and to experience that part of yourself that maybe you haven't had the chance to experience perhaps ever, but not for a while at least. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a great point because, um, I'll sometimes get messages from women saying, I know I'm supposed to submit, but like my husband isn't giving me anything to submit to. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's, I mean, I think there's also like personalities that are involved in this. Like, and and so I'm, I'm, again, I try to look at things from a case by case basis or whatever, but I sometimes just wonder, like, does he feel able to express those things to you that he actually wants 
Or like, you know, have you created an environment where he feels like it's okay to state those things without getting some ridiculous reaction or, you know, it's, it's like, and then I think in some cases, yes, like there are, I mean, I've, I've met people in my real life where the dynamic of the couple is just so different than what I'm familiar with. And I'm like, I don't understand this, but mm. as a general rule to, to go back to what you were saying, like there is, there is a way to, to try to get what you're, what you want but to shut down the possibility for what you actually want. But I don't know if I'm making sense, but I get it. Women are trying to accomplish. They're trying to bring these things out of their, out of their men, but the way that they're going about it is the very thing that's shutting it down. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yes. Um, And so, yeah. How are you? And and I, and I always bring it back to first Peter three, your conduct. That is such an interesting word because conduct isn't just behavior. It's not just speech. It's speech. It's behavior. It's how you dress. It's how Mm -hmm. you smile. It's how you interact in the world. Conduct is a very holistic word. Um, And so is your conduct bringing that out of your husband? Because I have fallen in the trap so many times wanting to bring something out of my husband and I immediately go to, to talking but my conduct isn't living up to it. Right. Mm. So I think, I think I, I think I could also speak for at least some men and seeing that, you know, conduct is also your thoughts. Like I think yes. men are, men are hyper and men are hyper visual and we, we take in just an incredible amount of information with our eyes. And it's almost like in watching women, we can, we can't read their mind, but we can read their mind through the changes in their face and their posture based on what they're thinking. Right. And it's like, you may not say anything, you may not do anything, but a man is like, what's wrong? Right. So uh, yeah. And yeah, my husband does this to me all the time of like, you, you know, I'll like cock my head differently, you know? And yep. it's like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, no, and and to go back to thoughts too. Um, I want to talk about that. Yeah. That's the other thing that I tell women is how are you thinking about your husband? Because you've just told me all these things he's doing wrong. Yeah. If you're dwelling on that all day, that is a recipe for, for only seeing the bad things. Um, and so like, I, I, I remember when my husband and I were going through a hard time, he would drop me off at work or I would take the car, whatever, how it worked out. And I would be stocking shelves in the morning. And it was like my morning bitterness rehashing stocking shelves time. Oh, wow. Like time to (laughs) put candy on the shelf and think about how angry I am. One bag, that bastard. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's like, it's like, I remember I had this clicking moment where I was like, you know what? I bet if I replaced these thoughts with scripture that I've memorized, my life would change. I don't know for sure, but I think maybe my life would change. <laughs> and so there would be times I'd be stocking shelves and I would either start getting those adulterous thoughts or those bitter thoughts. And I would just be rehashing it in my mind. And then I would go, let's just go through first Peter. Let's just go through this. And I would actively replace that thought 
And you can't be thinking about adultery while you're, you know, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to work so well. Someone's going to win. That One of those thoughts is going to win. One of those thoughts is going to win. Um, and I mean, the hard part for women, though, is getting to them. It, it's not. It's like, I can tell you, you need to replace those thoughts with scripture. You need to replace those thoughts with thinking, loving thoughts about your husband. I can say that all day. But the hard part for women is really getting to the point where they actually want to get out of the bitter thoughts because the bitter place is a comfortable stewing sort of place to be. And I realized that I was in that place for so long. I was addicted to that feeling of being angry, getting in my car after work, listening to moody music that was feeding that. Um, Like I was just addicted to that experience. And so for me, it was like, I had all this scripture memorized. The discipline was to go from, in spite of how I feel, I'm going to actively replace that thought. So that's what I would also tell women is how are you thinking about your husband while he's at work? And are you like rage cleaning the house of like, he doesn't help out around the house at all. And I'm just so angry. And yeah, that's your conduct. And when he comes home, He's going to see a rage cleaned house and a rage cleaning wife like um, versus are you like praying for him and thinking loving thoughts about him and speaking to your children in a positive way about their father? And so when he comes home, that's what, you know, you have children who who love him and a wife who loves him. And that 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 all goes back to your thoughts. So I want to talk about this bitterness state of mind because I this is something that I've identified. Yeah, no, it's really important because um, I think of things, um, the states of mind that are opposed to Christ and, and the gospel as, as as power, right? Everything is yeah. conceived in terms of power, right? So, so men who um, men who reject the gospel are men who reject submission to Christ because they want to be their own little gods. God is dead. So I'm going to be my own little god because I can be powerful. Now, women don't have the ability to be physically powerful in the same way that men do, but I think of um, women can become their own little gods maybe because of that feeling of bitterness because it gives them power over their environment. Is, is that, does that sound, does that, does that map? I, you went blank for a second. Oh, um, sorry. You said women don't have the ability to be physically powerful as men do, but, and then it, I lost oh. you. But, um, okay. So women don't have the ability to be physically powerful like men do. But women can step into that space of bitterness because it gives them power over their environment. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Does, do those two map together? Right. Yeah. Well, and you can you can do things that you think are having power over your husband. So withholding sex, withholding affection, um, you know, uh, the silent treatment, this kind yeah. of stuff is like the woman's version of of trying to have power and um, over her husband. Um, and that all stems from the root of bitterness. Like Hebrews talks about bitterness as a root, the root of bitterness. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up among yep. you and by many and by it, many become defiled. So, um, it, and then it says also in first Peter three, let all bitterness and hypocrisy and malice and envy and slander be put away from you. Um, and to go back to the idea of bitterness being a root, it's a root because all these branches and leaves and things stem out of it. A bad fruit, it bears yeah. horrible fruit. But the root 
is, is that seething, bitter heart. Um, and it can be, and a lot of the other words we use for that, unforgiveness is one of them. You know, I'm harboring unfor- unforgiveness for something that your husband said. Um, or harboring, harboring bitterness towards your husband because you resent that he has a different role than you, that he is different, that God made him different and you resent that. Right. Um, and, and, and for me, it was like, it was bitterness of resenting, like, yes, resenting things that I perceive to be like, oh, I'd want you to do this differently or whatever, but resenting that, that that one fleshness that means that you do not have that bodily autonomy that is so valued in our culture. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, and that, that's, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's a, it's a hard thing to come to grips with when you're 20 and newly married and. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You got the full, you got the full dose, right? I did. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, go ahead. Well, and, and I always believed in Christian gender roles. I always believed in, yeah, I'm going to get married. And I'm going to submit to my husband. Like, of course, I'm going to submit to my husband. And that wasn't like something I had to like learn to believe. I always believed that. Um, but it's amazing how the justifications, when you're in that place of bitterness, how the justifications for submission will start. Um, you'll start making excuses. And you basically take the word submission and you whittle it down to this meaningless, nothing word. And I see that all the time is, yes, I believe in submission, except in but, 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 but. And I'm like, so you don't believe in submission. Mm -hmm. You've taken the word and you've completely destroyed it of what makes it submission. It's basically when I agree. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, but I noticed that tendency in myself of, um, it, where does it talk about, about people accumulating counselors for themselves, for their itching ears? I, <laughs> I think it's, it's, I think it's in one of the epistles, but it talks about like in the latter days or they'll accumulate teachers for themselves. And, and I noticed that with myself is that I was accumulating <laughs> people that would tell me what I wanted to hear and would tell me would justify my bitterness and say, yeah, it kind of makes sense that you're feeling that way. You know, I would feel that way too. And blah, 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 blah. And it wasn't until I I talked to this one person, they just said, submit to your husband. And I was like, and they didn't define submission for me. They knew that I knew what submission was. I didn't need someone to define it. Um, and they just said, submit to your husband. It's like, oh, it's, that's all you're going to tell me. Um, so yeah, no bitterness is, (laughs) it's, uh, it is the spawn of, of many evil things. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a poison is the best word to, to describe it. Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty rigorous, you know, with keeping bitterness away from me when I detect it, you know, it's, it's something that I've always had a, a visceral reaction to in part because it's not my character to be bitter at all. And apart mm-hmm. for that very reason that it is, it is a root. Um, and I, and I think what's, what, what's interesting about what you said is that the way we're used to thinking about things related specifically to women's bitterness towards men is that women would be these perfect flawless creatures if only men and patriarchy hadn't abused them into bitterness, right? Right. right. It's like, oh, I can point yeah. to all these things from my past and the world that legitimize bitterness. And it's kind of got the causality backwards. 
the causality is like bitterness is this root that lives within all of us, but in a specific way of women towards men. And so it reaches out looking for reasons to justify itself, but it has no justification. It looks, yes, it looks for reasons to justify itself. And it makes, that is what makes an enemy out of men. Yes. And, um, and makes an enemy out of your own husband. I wrote some post about this, about this, and, and I can't remember it now, but it's once you, once you start, this is why people like Christiana talk so much about who you surround yourself with mm. and are they encouraging you to speak well and think well of your husband? Because mm-hmm. if they're not, you are treading in very dangerous waters by being with them. Um, and so, you know, to go back to that, this idea of women being you know, perfectly flawless, if, if men had it mess it up, that is a framework and a lens for viewing the world. And so when you're talking to someone that's in that, that feministic mindset, they literally have these glasses on that see women as perfect beings, if not for men. Um, it's. Yeah, it's a filter (laughs) through which you view the world. And if you bring that into your marriage, then you are not accountable for anything you do. If you bring that into your marriage, like I am just a victim by virtue of being a woman, then any little comment your husband says, you know, that isn't just living up to your perfect standards, any little thing is just like, is going to perpetuate that victim mentality that you have. And then you go out into the world and they're affirming that. And then you go online and they're affirming that. Like, do you see what women are up against when they just try to love their husbands? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the world, the flesh and the devil. I mean, those are our three enemies. And there's attacks on, on marriage on every single side. And to go back to what we were saying earlier, the women get into that space. So they're treating their husband like an enemy. He shuts down. And, you know, this is why. People say, oh, I feel like I'm married to a stranger. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. yeah. Well, what's, what's so striking about that is the, the bitterness might not be there at all when they're courting, when they're dating, or even right up until they get married. And then they get married. They go through the ceremony of getting married, and then the bitterness shows up out of nowhere. Yes. That's, that's, I mean, that's legitimately frightening that you can, as a man, I could get to know you know, the woman I'm dating or, or whatever, and everything is perfect and lovely. And then once the bond of, of marriage is, once the commitment of marriage is made, that bitterness will surface out of nowhere. It's like, who is this, who is this woman that I married? And suddenly it's not, and in, in, in the secular world, it's not her fault. It's my fault because I've now become the embodiment of everything that's wrong with the mm-hmm. world. When like literally a week ago, that wasn't true. I was everything that was right about the world as her husband. Right. Now I'm everything that's wrong about the world. How awful. Yes. Oh, uh, it's, a, it's, it hurts me to talk yeah. about because I did that. <laughs> oh, I don't mean that as an accusation of you, by no, the no, way. No, like, no, yeah, no. Okay, cool. You're right. You're right. It is so awful. And, and it's like, and, and, and I, the same goes too for like, you know, before marriage and, and, you know, the desire to fornicate is so strong. And then after you get married, it's like, eh, whatever, you know, nice. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's the, that's yeah. the attitude that, that is presented though. When I like, when I'm like, 
scrolling through reels or whatever. And it's like this joke of like, you know, like, oh, now I got married and I don't, you know, I walk around in sweatpants and a mom bun all the time. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in having sex with my husband and like this, just this kind of stuff. And it's like, contrast that to like, we've glamorized this dating period, right? Um, In the dating period, you know, it's like, because the world has played house, they don't have this beautiful, robust, like, you know, view of marriage being a distinct category from dating. They kind of blur the lines and stuff like this. And, and so it, it gets confusing. And like, even though my husband and I waited till we were married to consummate, but, and you have, but I noticed that too, of just like this, this, you know, when, when you're dating, there's, there's not that commitment there that makes you feel stuck, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, I can, you know, I can be loving and I can be kind Cause I don't really have to be like, yeah. but then you're married and you're like, Oh, now it's like, I have this duty. And then suddenly it becomes like odious to you. And then there's that, like, um, I don't know what the name for this phenomenon is, but like when you realize you can't get out, then you want to get out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it happens in, marriages between people that are absolutely in love. Like it's, it's just really not about them as a couple. It's just this overarching principle of, yeah. (laughs) That's, I mean, I'm feeling the I'm feeling the pain of all of this because one of the things that men talk about in our spaces is, is wives uh, withholding sex and what that does to a relationship. And how, and you're absolutely right. Like you mentioned, like on the Instagram reels, like now I walk around in sweatpants and, and a, and a mom bun, but I bet if you were to swipe back to her reels before she got married, she's doing all the TikTok dances and the, in the pants and everything like that. Perfectly happy. You know what I mean? And, oh, she got the man through, you know, he, he approached her through Instagram saying, and then they're married and then she's like, okay, cool. Bye. Check out. And it's one yeah. of the phenomenon that men talk about, you know, as I, as like, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of men get very get very bitter and they get very angry about it. Like in the quote unquote red pill world, Yeah, you know, and they try like they try all these different um, secular answers to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the secular answers only go so far right? as they do. Right. Though they seem to. Yeah. They dress a surface issue, but this bitterness that expresses itself and the desire to control men, regardless of how great the man is, and the woman needing to keep that in check that because it will come out of her, you know, and that bitterness showing up and I'm just going to deprive my husband sex because I get to and I don't need it as much anymore. And I have all these different excuses for why I don't want to. And so I'm going to control him by de- denying my husband, the man I profess to love, the one thing that makes him feel more connected to me than anything. Like it kill yeah. it kills men. And this is why when a woman in their sphere talks about not depriving your husband of sex or not withholding, they get so much hate. (laughs) They get so many people coming against them. Um, It's, it's amazing to me. Just, uh, yeah. No, it's heavy stuff. It's really, really heavy stuff. And you can put it in terms that women will understand, you know, like, well, imagine if suddenly your husband just, you know, you went in for a hug and he just wouldn't hug you or, you know, you try to put it in terms that women understand. Um, but there is so much deprogramming 
Um, it's wild. <laughs> Let's, I want to actually, I'm glad you mentioned it because I want to bring up some of the hate because, mm-hmm. um, you know, my particular character is like, you know, when I, when I, I when I can identify a demon and put my finger on, it, I like to, I like to inflame it a little more, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think this hate is like, this is a real thing. And, and we were kind of, we're kind of getting, we were, we were, we were getting closer to it. But I know that this point that when you say something like, don't deprive your husband of sex, make him a sandwich, treat him with kindness, that women get really upset. They get really, really irrationally upset. And, and I, I guess I want to talk about that point and then also like talk about what it's been like receiving that as well, because I know that a lot of, a lot of people come into this create this content creation space, talking about things that they think are self-evident and obvious and loving and promoting of harmony between men and women that are objectively positive and the anger and the hatred and the vitriol that they get back for doing it is, is really shocking to a lot of it people. Is. And it's especially shocking because if you were to reverse it, you know, I saw this reel of, of this man. He loves to cook and he makes beautiful meals for his wife. Okay. That's, yeah, he loves praise to cook. God. That's his, yeah. Amazing. Um, it wasn't, it, there was no message behind it. It was just this nice reel or whatever, but like, that's the kind of stuff that like nobody bats an eyelash at, or they're like, yes, like <laughs> whatever they, they, and then you like, maybe even just kind of suggest maybe do something nice for your husband. Yeah. And it's like everyone flips out. And so the double standard, which has been pointed out a lot, um, but needs to continue to be pointed out so people actually see it. Um, but I think too, it's like, again, if you're entering marriage and you have the feminist lens on, you have these feminist glasses on, then like, and feminism is Marxist. So you have mm-hmm. an oppressor class and you have an oppressed class women are the oppressed class men are the oppressors and so if you're entering marriage with those lens on then like this this becomes like and and like i said earlier feminism being the philosophical manifestation of the flaw or uh, the the philosophical manifestation of the fall um but when you are entering marriage with that lens on and that's why it's so triggering to people to see maybe to see a woman just like loving her husband because in their framework, it's like, it's, I don't know. I'm trying to think of analogy that like does this justice for their, what they're seeing. Um, They're, they're, they're infusing a situation. They're infusing something into that scenario. That's not actually there. Right. So like, it's, it's kind of like, um, I, I'm trying to find a way to articulate this well, but yeah, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that of like, they're infusing this worldview into something that is so innocent and beautiful and pure. A yeah. woman just making a sandwich for the man she loves, yeah. but it turns it on its head and it just twists it and warps it. And they see it through this Marxist oppressor, oppressed worldview. Mm. And, and, and it's like, what? <laughs> Because if you were to do it the other way around, um, then then that fits their idea of how the world should be working. You know, the, the, the one who was, you know, the power dynamics have shifted. That fits their idea of what is good. That fits their moral standard. Um, so it's important to remember that, like, the world has a moral code. It's all flawed and skewed 
and everything. But progressivism has its righteous laws and its unrighteous laws. And so simple things like saying, honor your husband, that is an unrighteous law in their worldview. Yes. yes. <laughs> and this is the point that I've been making. I've made it on Twitter. I think I shared it on Instagram is that progressivism, leftism, Marxism, this is a religion. It's a religion. Like, and so pushing back on the level of culture, pushing back on the level of politics, yes, by all means, we should do that. But if you're not pushing back on the level of religion, that depth into the psyche and into the soul, it's, you're, you're not rooted deep enough to push back from. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and, people, and, 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 and so that's why you see people who are, they're kind of trying to, they're trying to speak into that world, but they don't recognize that it's a religion. So they're still granting a lot of its assumptions and they're playing that halfway game. They're not going to really reach those. You, you can't, um, I, I was listening to this thing. There's a pastor in Texas named Pastor Joel Webbin, but he has a, a good um, YouTube channel. But he was just talking about how Paul, the apostle Paul, he would confront the religion of the day. Mm-hmm. He didn't just, it wasn't too political for him or whatever. He would confront the religion of the day. Quote, yeah. unquote, too political. Too political, so divisive. So divisive. Um, <laughs> and if you recognize that progressivism, wokeism, covidism, whatever, mm. it's a religion, um, then you have an obligation that when you are preaching the gospel, you're also confronting the religion of the day. Now, I'm not saying that everyone, I don't talk about vaccines. I don't talk about whatever. Other people sure. do a much better job of that. What I'm I'm entering into confronting the religion, the feminism part of that religion. Hmm. That is the particular beast that I'm trying to fight. Um, but, but to, uh, yeah, no, this like veneer of piety of like (laughs) this, yeah, pietism basically of like, Mm. I'm just, I'm just going to, uh, (laughs) to not enter into the, it's like, then you're not going to reach these people. Uh, Um, That's what pietism, I've heard this word recently, pietism. So so pietism, it actually came out of like a, a Lutheran movement, I think, but it was basically like, we don't, you know. Jesus is Lord of our spiritual parts, but like not really Lord of everything else. Like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not giving the most kind, like, because I don't agree with it, but um, (laughs) it's it's basically just like, it's like focusing on inner piety to the detriment of like, we also have a war that needs to be fought. Right. So it's like, I'm staying out of the war. I don't like that war terminology. Like I'm just focusing on the inner life. Um, And I'm like, yeah, you start with the inner life. Um, But then, then you go out and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to, to do battle in the way that you do battle. Anyway, yeah, no, that it's, it was, it's been a recent concept for me as I've been, yeah. No, that's, that's, this is fantastic because I've, I've encountered this, right? Like I encountered this showing up in, in many different ways in, in, in my world with men where it's like, I'm a, I'm a hardened cultural warrior. Like I've, you know, traveled around, I've seen so many, more than 30 countries around the world. I've been in my own spiritual journey. So I've seen and I've done and I've been, and I see what's happening now to America. And I've seen America from the outside and I've seen the way the rest of the world lives. And I see what's happening to the United States now. And so uh, it's unconscionable to me. And I, I feel personally as a man and I, and, and, and many men are very, are very comfortable saying, you know, we need to fight for, for Western values or American values or whatever they are. Right. And they're cool with that. 
But as soon as you say, no, I'm going to start fighting for Western American values and I'm going to start fighting for Christian values, you get a lot of men going, nah, bro, I don't know how I feel about that. It's like, well, this is, as a Christian man, this is how I'm called to fight. Right. I'm like, like it's, there's a, there's a big book about it. You should check it out sometime, you know, but a lot of people really draw back from get, from engaging culturally, like at the, at the point of most conflict. Right. They just, you know, and, and so to hear that and, and then they, they hold themselves up as um as virtuous in doing that. Like, oh, you know, I'll just keep the main thing. The main thing is the saying that I've heard, right? I'll keep the main thing. And and here's the thing about that that thing. What I would say to someone is, good, you keep the main thing, the main thing. But realize that for that person lost in their sin, the main thing is feminism. Yeah. So I need to, I need to extract their main thing, like in order to preach Christ, in order to like. Yeah, no, I know it's, it's, it's like, it's like, uh, it's kind of people forget, you know, Jesus said, go into all nations and preach the, preach the gospel and disciple the nations and baptize them, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Okay. So that part teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, that's why we're getting into the nitty gritty and we're getting into the details and we're talking Mm -hmm. about feminism and we're talking about, you know, wokeism and all this kind of stuff, because that, that's what we're fighting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then, um, so I'm curious, like, so you get, so you get a lot of hate from people and it's probably pretty striking to you and you've probably developed your own strategies to deal with it, probably ignoring it or whatever. But like the first time, what was it like the first time that, um, that you encountered that? And I know you've been very generous with your time. So I just have a couple more questions. If yeah, that's yeah, okay. no, my baby's sleeping. So this is like, oh, perfect. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I would always get like dumb comments from like you know, she, her with no profile picture and like two followers. It's like, okay. Um, it's yeah, it's, you know, and, and those are very easy to just be like, okay. Um, it was when I started realizing that I was on these like Reddit threads or forums or whatever, Mm. and they were writing things about me. And, um, those were, those hit at that essential part of us that wants to be understood. Right. And feels frustrated when we're misunderstood. Um, and so I was reading these things that were just grand collect collective misunderstandings about my life. And so that touched on the like, oh, well, now I've been misunderstood. Um, so and, and people were saying the wildest things. I mean, and, you know, it was really like really specifically things with my husband and I. And they were they were saying some very strange stuff. And they were actually like a lot of the. So there was a lot of this kind of stuff. She's very smart, objectively, <laughs> but but she's so brainwashed. I just, it bothers me so much. She would be so successful in another life, but she's so brainwashed, this kind of stuff. Or um, people saying like, I, um, you know, she just, she's with this greasy Bible nerd and like, he doesn't let her wear makeup because if she wore makeup, then people would see how beautiful she was. And then she would find a different man who actually, blah, blah, blah. Like this weird stuff. <laughs> oh, that's so, it's, 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 it's very, um, how anti-misogynist of them to say, if she were putting, if she put makeup on her face, everyone see how beautiful she is. Like, what? <laughs> it was, it was, it Thank was, you read it. It was so, it was so bizarre. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they were making threads about my husband um greasy bible nerd oh yeah it was like i was like i just rough someone was like i'm just she stays with this greasy bible nerd and um basically saying oh "Oh, it was just it was bizarre um 
And, you know, it's funny thing. The funny thing about these threads is they'll take something really normal that everybody does and suddenly like turn it into this super weird, abnormal thing. Um, you know, it's like, it's just like, <laughs> I, I don't know that we, they were like, I remember my husband and I did like a Q and A or something and they were taking screenshots of the Q and A and like analyzing every little whatever and body like, language. You see, you're just like, <laughs> Or um, my favorite was, oh, he has a Rasputin beard. That was my favorite. That was hilarious. Um, it's just like, these people need to be writing novels. Like, they're just so funny. Um, but yeah, so those got to me a little bit. And um, uh, then there was some more, there's like the really surface level stuff of like, um, you know, just being like, oh, she, you know, she's brainwashed or whatever. And then sometimes they'll, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. Um, but you know, when like people will try to intellectualize their very unchristian worldview, but like, never heard of it. What are you talking about? No way. There's just like, there's normal, like just being mean. And then there's just like this false pity, like, Uh, and yeah. and, And that kind of stuff was, so I would say the way that I, well, one is I set disciplines for myself of I'm just not going to Google myself. <laughs> and I actually told, a good my idea. Husband, I, I told my husband, I said, I need you to forbid me from Googling myself so that it becomes a submission issue if I Google myself. Therefore, smart, and he was smart. like, OK, he was like, you are that. forbidden. You are forbidden from Googling yourself. And I'm like, good. So now this is just like me being obedient to my husband. Like this is. Um, Takes all the pressure off. Takes all the pressure off. Like, I don't really want to, you know. Um, so that's one of the boundaries too. And then also realizing like, oh, someone sent me this thing. It was like, you need a GIF for the people that are behind the screen when they're writing these things. And they sent me this like, I'll have to send it to you. It's just so funny. <laughs> like, look at this when you see hate. Because this is the person behind the- Oh, yeah. Um, um, no, but actually realizing that it's real people. And probably, probably the Reddit threads are real people because they have way too much information. Um, okay. And so the Reddit threads, realizing that it's real people, but it's like, I I had someone, um, anonymously message me and I did an anonymous thing. And they said, I used to be one of those Reddit hate people Mm. and I now follow your page and I see Christianity and biblical, like all this stuff. I I can't remember exactly, but they professed. And then some, I think I've also heard someone else saying, I found your page through the Reddit hate threads and realizing that even that is a way that people are like waking up because maybe they are just trashing fundies, fundies as they call them. Um, I don't know, but um, they're trashing these people. And then, you know, something I say that's like thoughtful and kind and genuine ends up on that thread. And someone goes, that doesn't fit my perception of these people. Yes. I'm going to check out what she actually has to say. Maybe they DM me and they find that I'm actually very kind in responding to them. And then it starts to unravel because they realize that the community they were coming from was the hateful one and the vicious, angry, bitter people. And I'm inviting them into this community of love and joy and peace. And, (laughs) um, 
I, so I, I see it as even that can be used to reach people because it has. Um, and the other thing too, is like, I don't know. I think sometimes people view, um, so there's this quote by Robert Frost where he says the, um, it's something like the mark of education is to be able to listen to anything, almost anything without losing your temper or your self-confidence. And I, I, I love like that. that. I love it. And that's been this guiding rubric for me of like, I can, I can listen and I can objectively, if I get an angry response in my DMs or someone is like, you're, you know, you're totally wrong about this. And this is why I can listen to that without losing my temper. And I can listen to it without, without losing my self-confidence. I can just see it for what it is. Um, it doesn't need, I don't need to make an example of it on my stories. You know, look, I'm getting all this hate. People hate me. Like I can just see it for what it is. And that's been a helpful rubric. Um, Mm -hmm. because you know, you, you recognize this, this pushback is inevitable. Um, and all I can control is how I respond to this. And sometimes it's worth my time because I know that there's someone behind the screen that really needs to be spoken to honestly and lovingly. And sometimes it's not worth my time and I let it go. Um, so I would say I'm at a place now where I deal with the hate pretty well because I've just depersonalized it in many ways. Um, you know, sometimes there'll be an attack specifically on me or like attacking, not just my ideas, but like, I haven't really had attacks on my appearance, but things like that, where it's like, it's not just your ideas they're going after, but they're really going after you as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, and that can be hurtful for sure. But again, it's coming from people that don't even know my last name or like my favorite color. Like it's, (laughs) why would I, why would I take that? Yeah. Yeah. Why would you, why you take it? Why would you take that? It's not actually about you. It's their projection of you, right? And I'm not responsible for that. Um, And, and so, and then I'll write a post like, and then I'll go, you know, this is a good wake up call for me. Like I try to turn everything into, because I'll realize, wow, I was really deeply misunderstood and that hurts. Well, you know what? I probably misunderstand others and that probably hurts them too. Like I just try to take it and turn it into an opportunity for a little bit of self-reflection and and then just move on. Like it can everything can be a lesson if you make it that way. So it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt sometimes, but I'm at a much better place with the unkind messages. Can we talk a bit about um this part in, in all of us that wants to be understood? I think it's really, inf- I mean, it's, I think it's a good part of us, but it's also very much inflamed by our social media age, which also like creates as much, creates a lot of misunderstanding. And then this downward spiral of trying to be understood, which in many ways creates only more misunderstanding. Yes. Um, so I think this also goes back to this idea of identity. And I, I look back at my life and I see someone who is constantly trying to find an identity to attach myself to. And then like, once I find that one thing, you know, that's who I am. And so with the misunderstanding stuff, like we were not meant to be understood on a wide scale. Uh, We were meant to be understood by our God and by the people closest to us. Mm. And so when you have this pseudo people understand me online because they know some things about me, 
you're like, well, then I need to be fully understood. Like it's, it's like a little bit panicking because you're like, how far do I go? And I am, I am a believer in constructive vulnerability. And I've also experienced the joy of being able to talk about something from the heart and to have people understand it. And that's not a bad thing, but it's not like a race to be more understood because I've noticed like in myself, sometimes I will be writing something and then I'll check myself and go, am I writing this to help others? Or am I writing this because I can't stand that someone has a misconception about me? Oh, I'm writing this because I feel compelled to, to correct the mis- misconception. I'm going to be okay with that misconception because I'm known by God. I'm known by my husband. I'm known by my family. I'm going to move on. And you just have to be okay with being misunderstood. Um, and, and like, I think when someone goes down the path of trying to be mis- trying to be fully understood by the internet, then they're in, then that's where their life is. Mm-hmm. That's where they spend their life because those are the people that they're seeking understanding from. Um, but yeah, I can understand if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you don't have a good relationship with your husband or family or whatever. They're feeding something innately in you that just so desires and so longs to be seen for who you are. That's really interesting. Because I, I know that the- thing, I don't know on the men's end how that is. I mean, it's got to show up. I think it's a human thing. Yeah. Right. Like um, I can identify it in myself. Right. I I get um, I think maybe for men, it shows up differently because men in this space adopt a more combative kind of posture. So if someone doesn't understand, screw them. Right. But but I got to believe that it's part of being human to want to be understood whether or not you express it. Like maybe for men, the opposite would be true that they care so little about being understood that no one understands them at all mm. and that they get very isolated in that versus women want to be overly understood. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think too it's like I we all have a story and we all have a character arc in our <laughs> life and yeah. that like I yeah, I don't know how to like, you know, the hero's journey, like, you know. Sure. It's a real um, thing. So we all have that and there have been like one realization for me is like my, my character arc, my hero's journey, my story, whatever you want to call it is a hundred percent valid and wonderful. Even if nobody knows the ins and outs of it and it's between me and God. Mm. Um, and also recognizing that like, you know, in eternity as sons of God will be recounting God's deeds for all eternity. And every person is going to stand as a trophy of God's grace and what he did in their life. So I believe that our stories are meant to be told eventually. I believe that our stories are meant to be, are meant to be shown in this glorious way of look at what God has done for this sinner. And so I can wait, you know, (laughs) to be fully, you know, I, I think these longings that we have, they really do point to something eternal. And sometimes people will go, you know, just need, you don't need to be under, 
you don't need to be understood. It really doesn't matter. And I'm like, actually, that longing points to something very deep and very eternal in us. It's just a matter of I can wait a little longer um, to until the revealing of the sons of God, right? Um, so again, you don't have that eternal mindset, then this life is all you have. Yeah, you better either just make peace with being misunderstood or you better make sure everybody perfectly, completely understands you. Not possible. Not possible. And so um, then you will be very, very frustrated. So this is why people need really great friendships and (laughs) a church. And (laughs) they need other people because (laughs) we weren't made to function alone. No. And, and, and gosh, this is, this is, I said earlier that this, the secular world offers so many different solutions that only go part of the way. And, and earlier today, in another circumstance, I was talking to someone else and recognizing, because I've been on my own journey recently to, to find the number of, of answers that really just come from Christianity. Like, that's just where the answers are. If you're looking yeah. for them in the secular world, you'll find, you'll find like the junk food or the, or the mass produced version of those answers, which are just good enough, but the real answers are in Christianity. So like yes. that part about wanting to be understood that even that, like with being eternally minded, you know, that, that you will be fully understood and, and, and all misunderstandings cleared up and all yes. slander. Left. Yes. Yes, that all of that, like you will stand in the light and, and you, will be, you will be vindicated as having done the right thing, even if no one in this life ever understands that, in eternity, in, in eternity you will be understood and you will have yes. that feeling of, wow, knock me over. Yes, yeah. Um, it talks about our works being tested as by fire and like the quality of our works being shown. It's like, we will be saved as through fire but our works are going to be shown whether they were built on a foundation of gold or hay or stubble or whatever. It's like, we have such a, you know, so many people at the, with the gospel, they've stopped at I'm saved. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. And that's all you need, <laughs> but there, there is more where, you know, we're hesitant to talk about good works sometimes and all this kind of stuff. But, um, but there is a reason that we have this deep seated longing. Um, and I can, I would say I could, the majority of these frustrations that manifest, manifest themselves as longings can go back to something innately about us. You know, I was, I was talking about this, like, cause you know, there's a lot of really interesting health information out there and people are constantly on this. Oh, you there? Sorry. Am I back? You're back. Okay. Sorry. I don't know what happened. It just said your computer is not allowing Riverside to record. Please refresh. So I'm like, all right, I don't know what's going to happen, but. Okay. So it didn't lose. No, it didn't lose. Okay. Um, so as I was saying is so many people are on this healing journey of like constantly striving for better health, which it's good to try to be healthy, whatever. But it's, it's pointing to the fact that we were made to have amazing glorified bodies with absolutely no illness and probably be super fit and amazing and be able to like walk through walls and fly and stuff like this doctrine of being glorified. Eventually we see bits and pieces of it, of like, we're striving for that health. We're striving for that perfection. Um, so when I see it, it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's 
pull that out and see how we can have a a healthy participation in this in the here and now. Mm. There's a book that I read recently. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote this trilogy of fiction works. They're commonly called space the, trilogy. the space trilogy. Yeah. So um, have you read it? Um, so I've read the first two and I have yet to read the third. Okay. So, so I was going to talk about the second book. So, yes. So Paralandra. And by the way, Doug Wilson says we should call it the ransom trilogy because C.S. Lewis was trying to get us to abandon the word space because as you know, from the out of the silent planet, that space is not space. It's the heavens. Right. right. Um, but when I read Paralandra and the absolutely, I don't even know the word, stunning, thrilling, gripping portrayal of what paradise was like before the fall and what men like that landed in me like a bomb, like yeah. life changing to read that book. Because you can see, because it's not really reflected too much in, in, in Genesis in a literary sense, because they weren't writing literature, right? Right. And C.S. Lewis is writing literature. And so he can spend the entire, what, like third act of the book almost like just expounding on this paradisical way of being on this planet. And it's like, that's who we were like. And then I go walking down the street to my gym and I look at the trucks and the cars and the concrete. It's like, oh, we screwed up so bad. Yeah, Oh, no, no, it's it's no. um, Paralandra, I love that you brought that up. Because the, the, the innocence of that, um, that woman or, you know, the green lady, the green lady, the innocence and like, he just does such a good job of what would it be like to have no knowledge of sin and death, but to be interacting with someone who does, right? Like, and and then she says, you've made me wiser, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm older now, or no, that's what she says. I'm older now. Um, and the way that like, they talk about things and, and, and I'm like, the innocence, I think is what really stands out to me. And that is, that is that childlikeness and that reliance upon like the fatherly care. And then in that book, it's Maldil. And she's like, why would I do anything to, right. to disobey Maldil? Like, he's good. Why would I do that? And you're like, oh sin mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what sin is um so no i i love that you brought that up that is um i read that book twice um so i read the first book and then i'm like almost twice way through the second book and then i started the third book but have yet to finish it um it's amazing <laughs> yeah i've been i've been waiting i read the i read it back in june and i was just i was loving the book and then i think that to finish the book I just couldn't put it down. I, I gave myself a little staycation. So I deleted all social media from my phone and just and disappeared from the world for about a week. I stayed here in, in my apartment. It was out by the pool all day. When I was reading that book, it was during that week. And oh. I think I stayed up until like four or five o'clock in the morning finishing it. Like I could not, I could not put yeah. it. I didn't want to put it down. Like I didn't want it to end. I still don't want it to end. Like I, I haven't actually like I'm going through like a, a something in my heart, like a breakup with those books. Like I read those books. I don't want to read any of the books again. Yes. Yes. Okay. So can we talk about space trilogy? Please. Please. Okay. Uh, okay. Buckle in. So the fact that, okay. So I don't want to spoil anything. Well, yeah. okay. It's fine. Spoiler alert. Stop now. If you don't want to know what happens. Okay. Um, <laughs> if the fact that when he is when Ransom is deciding what route to take 
to deal with the unman. And right. he's called an unman because he has lost his humanity and he is controlled by the powers of darkness. Yeah. He is not a man anymore, right? But when he's deciding what route to take, and you think at the beginning, it's going to be this intellectual battle of the wills. And like, he's going to outsmart whatever. Mm-mm. And he comes to that realization of, I literally have to kill this guy with my bare hands. Yeah, It's, it, <laughs> it just peels off like those Gnostic layers that we have <laughs> in our thinking <laughs> of like, um, cause we're expecting this spiritual battle and it turns into this aggressive, violent, bloody, he's not trying to convince this person yeah. anymore. He's not trying to, he is destroying them because what's at stake is paradise. Mm-hmm. What's at stake is an entire refall. And there's this quote that I actually had in my house for a while from that book. And it was, whatever happens, Maldil will make good come of it, but not the good that it, if you had obeyed in the first place. Oof. Yes. And <laughs> I've like chills. <laughs> um, and, and so anyway, this, this, like this reality of how he's forced to deal with the disruption in paradise. Like, and you think about that with Adam and Eve and Adam's job was, was not to reason with the snake. It was to Mm. make whole violent end of it and destroy it. Um, And how like uncomfortable are we with that language now? Cause we're just, we're closet Gnostics, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, this is a whole other topic tangent, but no, I love I've been, this stuff. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for like two months to talk with somebody about this book. So, um, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because, um, yes, it, 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 it is definitely like it, it speaks to the Gnostic side. Like, no, you're not going to have a spiritual battle with the devil. Like, but what's interesting for me about reading the same thing is that, um, to me, it spoke to masculinity. Because mm-hmm. here's Ransom, he's a philologist, like he's a, he's a professor, yeah. he's like a Cambridge professor, he's based on Tolkien, actually. And he realizes that all of his wisdom and all of his intelligence is absolutely powerless, and he has to use the one thing, and his body, to step up and end this threat. And she can't see him do it. Like, that's the thing, is like, it can't be in her sight. She can't witness this murder going down. Right. Yeah. Cause that would be, you know, and so the way that that whole, that like how, and just, but then to know during the course of reading the books that like Maladil's going to take care of all of it. And he does. It's just like, right. it's, it's oh. even, a, and then, and then the glorification afterwards. Oh, yeah. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's so glorious. Um, after I, my, my other, my other favorite part of that book was the beginning where they're talking about wrestling with the principalities and the, the, in the heavenly places. And they're kind of referring to that, that verse in Ephesians. Mm-hmm. And he says something about like, it's really just like, you know, um, man, I have the book in my shelf. I wish I could, but there's that quote where he's talking about, um, you know, it's like, we're actually just fighting with psychosomatic powers. Like that's a better translation of it or whatever. And like, I don't know, no. but, um, the, <laughs> It just brings it down to this level that's like, oh, this is war. Like when we say we're wrestling with the the powers and principalities and the heavenly places, people are like, oh, yeah, like got to put on my spiritual armor. And like, you know, it's this vague sort of. But no, like there are. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, I, 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 I have recommended that to multiple people because um, it will expand your, <laughs> your idea of what it means to, <laughs> to be a spiritual person living in this, <laughs> in this world. Yeah, I live like I, I think about Paralandra every day because well, because I'm, I'm forced to because. So you, you read the Bible, you read Genesis and you read about creation and a little bit about the garden. And there's comparatively very little about it that's um, that we would describe as um, not sensual in like a sexual way, but sensual and like engages lush. the senses. Lush. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and so, so we live in a, we live in the world that's very opposite from the garden, but we don't have a basis for contrast. We can't understand because, because we can't actually look at, we can look at paintings, but paintings don't quite do it. But C.S. Lewis is such an absolute genius and so incredible with words and like he's so connected and so blessed and so holy in his gift, at least that he's able to paint this picture that's like, you don't just get to look at it. You get to go inside the garden and see how it was. And I don't believe, I mean, I believe it was like a divine gift that was given to him. Like he tapped into something true and then to see that and then to juxtapose it with who we are as people now, the world that we live in, just how fallen it is. Like I did a series on a, a, a series of stories on Instagram where I talked about the curse, like God's curses are legit. It's in my story highlights. And it was just after reading that book because I realized how legit the curse was like God, God was not messing around and you can't really understand that because you take for granted living in this sinful way, our whole lives, you know, we can't, we take it for granted because we don't actually know what the alternative is, but to read those books and see what the alternative is and to feel it and to believe in it. It's just, it's, it's gripping in the heart and crushing and heartbreaking, but also the simultaneously the most faith inspiring thing that no, that's, that's who we were. And that's, and to your point about um, call like calling to be understood, like yeah. th- that all those things that we have a longing for, they're real and genuine parts of us that will be that will be filled. I mean, yes. just transformative for me. Yes, yeah. No, um, I was thinking too about the the world that he paints because I love that you brought that up. With like, we we th- we read about the garden and we're like, okay, so I I just fill my understanding of a garden into the text and that's it. But when he paints this world, like every, it's like the experience of the senses. It's not just that the physical realm is untouched by sin. And so things taste good and it's nice to swim and whatever, but the experience of those is untainted by sin. So when he tastes that fruit, he doesn't have any, like, He's like, it would, it would be almost sinful to repeat that experience, Mm. like perfect satisfaction. I think that was what he was getting at to be perfectly satisfied. Um, and so, um, yeah, when, when, like you said, when we look at how we've been corrupted and how God's curses, like he was so kind to us Mm. in the garden and to pervert something so beautiful deserves nothing less than the death sentence. And you see that in the garden, like the unman deserved every ounce that was coming to him. (laughs) So, yeah. And, and it just really calls into stark uh, contrast, I guess you'd say like the, the power of salvation, like we could, like it, we all fell in Adam and Eve, we all fell in Adam, but that whole experience, like our our first parents and just how fallen and broken the world is. Um, But, you know, times, times corner. Oh, 
you know, that, that phrase that, that, you know, cause, because, um, cause the green lady knows about God coming down to earth. Like somehow she knows about that. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, and, and it's like that God condescended to become human, to sacrifice himself for our own redemption. It's like, she called it, she called it time's corner that it can be known in the heavens. It's like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I know. I know. I'm like, I'm like on the verge of tears. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Times corner. Yeah. When everything changed. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Love that you brought that up. That's <laughs> <laughs> the best. Literally, I've been waiting to talk about this book for two months. Because I don't want to give it away. Because like, I, I, like, I, I think we've done a good, I, I mean, I can't, everyone will have their own experience, but like. We gave the spoiler alert, so it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I don't know that you really can. Yeah, you can give a spoiler alert, but I don't know that you can really even that for me that wasn't the the thing that could be spoiled. Like I don't know if you right. you know what I mean. You have to it's an experience. It's yes. not a plot that you you're like, oh, okay, now I know what happens. It is an experience. Yes. So they can dive into that experience regardless of what we've <laughs> previously shared. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think I think it we could like spoil the plot of it, but um <laughs> but I mean that wouldn't that would only do so much because to read it and to engage in it from a Christian viewpoint and to understand the gravity, the, the, the gravity of the garden, the gravity of the fall, the gravity of redemption, all is illustrated. Like, you know, I, I listened, been listening to some lectures about it because Doug Wilson talks about it. And, you know, he talks a lot about that hideous strength, which was a, a book of prophecy about, you know, how, how depraved our modern, modern world will get. And, you know, Lewis was right in ways that he couldn't have even known. But that, and it's a great book. But like yeah. I, I, my heart belongs like ransom. My heart belongs to Paralandra. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> now I need to read that hideous strength, though. I need to to actually make that happen. <laughs> it's no, it's it's really good. the The last, um, the last act of the book, the the first, the first two acts, are a little bit like, where is this going? What's going on? But the last act, third act of the book, is like, whoa, <laughs> like whoa. It's okay. It- that's what I've. That's what I've heard. Yeah, my my orthodox friend. Um, she just really kept recommending it to me and uh and it's just like just wait it will blow your mind just yeah. wait <laughs> so good, yeah because in that he, he the strength you also see some of the things that we've been talking about related to feminism and its effect on men and women and the in the oh. um yeah because you see it in the, the the protagonist ransom is not the protagonist of that hideous strength it's the on one side it's two different stories that intertwine at the end um, with a that follow the a married couple, so Mark and Jane Studdock. And so one goes one way, the other goes the other way, and you see it show up like how men are fallen, how women are fallen, and and the role of men and women and it just and and how that all plays out. So you get to see it's very much more earthly than Paralandra, but but it it I mean he saw very, very clearly. It it touches on feminism too, but without using the word because he wrote it in like the 1940s. So I don't know the word was really out there yet. Yeah. All right, I need to get on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so just I just did have one just to bring it back to you know sort yeah. of practical practical things. I wanted to. Um, you've interacted with obviously so many different content creators and so many content consumers, for lack of a better word. Like, what sort of advice do you give to women who want to make a transition to a more traditional lifestyle lifestyle, whether to uh, you know the things that really land for them in terms of addressing their their thoughts, their behaviors, and also what sort of um, advice do you give to men as well? Cause I'm sure you have many men followers, just like I have women, women followers. Like what do you, yeah. what advice do you give to both men and women? Yeah. If they're wanting to make that transition? Well, 
like, I think sometimes we'll, you know, there will be an example in their minds of this is the lifestyle that I want, copy and paste. Um, but I remember when I was uh, really seeking to to change my lifestyle, but I was still working and like I didn't have <laughs> I didn't have the aesthetics, but my heart was changing. And so, like what we talked about earlier, I was wanting to make that that physical manifestation of that. So. Um, I was working at a grocery store and I was thinking things like, okay, I'm here right now. This is where God has me. And how can I, how can I embrace my womanhood here? How can I love others here? How can I fulfill my calling here? Um, and so that was helpful for me to not look at it as like a future event. When I get married, when I, for the people listening, right. When I get married, I'll start really living Mm. this traditional life or whatever, look at where you are right now. And for me, that was being a cashier at a grocery store and realizing that I had the opportunity to interact lovingly with kind lovingly, but like respectfully with customers and that my work ethic was how I was glorifying God and, you know, fulfilling my calling at that time. So that's not specifically like, traditional lifestyle. But I just bring that up to say, literally look at where you are right now and start with that. Um, because there's always the next step, you know, for me is once I have kids or once I'm full-time at home or whatever. Um, the other thing I would say is that this is, if you are married, this is a conversation between you and your husband. And it's a really exciting conversation to get to have because you get to figure out how you want to do things. Um, and I remember when I, you know, was, things were changing for the better in my marriage. And I would have these conversations with my husband about, you know, me being more home full time more and what that would look like and how that would impact our lifestyle and the things that I would prioritize and blah, 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 blah. Those conversations were really, really exciting times to like dream together Mm. about what our life could look like, you know, if we're going down this path. So if you're married, open that up as a wonderful conversation that's exciting and that's full of possibility and warmth and just like dream together. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, Because, yeah, I remember going from working at the, uh, full time at the grocery store. I keep bringing up the grocery store because it was just such a formative time. (laughs) But, um, it it was anyway. Um, I remember going from working full time to working like just a few hours a week at the coffee shop. That entire process did not happen overnight. It was slowly making changes in our lifestyle to be able to make that happen. And I started being content before I ended up as a stay-at-home mom. Like I started pursuing contentment when I was working full-time. And slowly, little by little, it was a long process of me being home with my son full-time. So I would just say, be in it for the long run. Have those conversations with, if you're married, with your husband, that are just beautiful, dreaming conversations of what your life could be, right? if you are wanting to get out of the 
stressful nine to five, like, you know, and if you're not in a place where that can happen, if you have that conversation with your husband, because I get this message a lot of women wanting to be at home full time. Um, obviously it's going to depend on the situation, but if you're wanting to be full time, home full time. And that's not happening. Don't nag about it. Let the matter rest and just pray about it for a while. And then once you've prayed about it and thought up a gentle way of resurfacing it in a way that's non-combative, then maybe try to bring that up. But I would just let it rest for a bit. So it's not this constantly harped on thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure when someone says, I want to have a more traditional lifestyle. I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, do you want to be a stay at home wife? Like, okay, here are some things you can do first, have that conversation. If, if it's a single woman and she's saying, I want to have a more traditional life, um, or more traditional lifestyle, then my advice to her would be, okay, sit down and examine everything that is, that is keeping you back from that right now. So you're working this super stressful job. You're on birth control. You're blah, 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 blah. Like there's a whole slew of things that keep women in this stressed, um, unhappy modern women state. Um, and so I would sit down and say, this is a conversation you have with yourself or with a mentor or someone where you very, very honestly evaluate the things in your life, um, that are, that are pulling away from this dream. Um, so, and I, and I say that all within, you don't know the Lord, you need to know the Lord first. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, is a, that is first. A lot of times though, it is Christians reaching out but they're still just like lost because their church community is just kind of this like wishy-washy, non-denominational, yeah. egalitarian, everything is, you know, um, so they have no guidance and then they have no guidance from their family. Um, and so something I will tell people is, you know, that like you can do what you want with your life. I don't mean <laughs> that in like, uh, like in a, like you're the master of your fate. I don't mean that, but I mean, like if you hate your job and you are super stressed and it is like, you don't even feel like a woman at this job because you are operating in such a masculine way. You know that you can look for other things to do. And it's like, oh yeah, you're right. Like I, it is my life. Like I can make those changes. Mm -hmm. People sometimes don't like connect the dots, you know? Right. Um, um, and so then I would give recommendations of things that women can do. Um, that, sorry, this was a very, very stream of consciousness answer. So okay. I hope those are helpful points. Um, but things on the practical end that women can do if they're like, I still need to work, but I want to do a job that is not contributing to my stress and, you know, requires me to climb the ladder and behave in a masculine manner. I would say you can make a lot of money being a nanny. I was a nanny for several years and you are literally working with children and being nurturing. So that is an excellent job for women who are not, uh, you know, married yet. They're not stay at home wives or mothers yet look into that. Um, and, uh, yeah, examine, just examine your life <laughs> mm -hmm. and, uh, and be honest about what is and isn't working. And it's okay to fake it until you make it too. And it's okay to fake it until you make it. Um, which, yeah, I did that for a lot. <laughs> yeah. Just one more quick question, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, what is the perspective, what is your perspective on the younger generation of girls and their relationship 
to feminism and the things that you talk about? Because I saw some statistics that said uh, just yesterday, I think I posted them on Instagram, that women ages 18 to 35 are now far more liberal than, than men the same age bracket. And so maybe you're encountering alternate experiential data. Like what does it, what does it look like from your perspective? Okay. Yeah. So again, I'm in a bubble in the sense that yes, I have a large following, but it is generally like-minded people. Sure. Um, and so that's what I'm, I'm getting. Something that's I've realized is you, you can literally, <laughs> you can do every messed up thing in culture, in media or whatever. And women are still going to want to be stay at home wives and mothers deep, deep, deep down in their hearts. Mm. So they still love babies and want to have a slow paced, nurturing, creative life. So, and I see that, like, they might not know that they're admitting that, but I see things where I'm like, okay, you're admitting to this without admitting to it. Um, so when I think of that younger generation, I'm like, it's not that I have to convince people to want something that isn't natural to them, right? It's more like showing them that it's okay and it's possible. So you're not fighting a losing battle in the sense that like, you know, women's innate femininity is something that can be crushed and suppressed and poisoned, but it's not something that ultimately can be destroyed, Hmm. which is awesome. (laughs) So you're not fighting a losing battle. We're not fighting a losing battle. Um, I mean, yeah, like a woman can be on birth control for 10 years and her hormones can be all over the place and she really doesn't know what she wants. And, um, there's, there can be a lot of odds working against her. Um, but you're still dealing with a woman who wants to do womanly things. So I think it's less about, is this generation any different? I don't know. Like, I think that that the same feminine heart is there. And it's just a new manifestation of wickedness that's trying to pull them away from it. And so our job is just to stand here and go, hey, it's okay to be a woman. You know, <laughs> it's okay to want lots of children. It's okay to love your husband. We just have to stand there and, and present it and just make it beautiful. Make the truth beautiful and love what we're doing. Amen. Praise God. Yeah. Thank you so much, Annalise. This has been wonderful. Thank you. So I've, this has been a great conversation. <laughs> so good. So good. Well, where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? Um, so I am on Instagram at feminine underscore not underscore feminist. And I have a podcast, Everyday Wife. Um, and then am I anywhere else? I'm on Twitter. Yeah. It's, it's there. <laughs> it's a thing. So. But I'm mostly active on Instagram. No. Well, thank you again. This has been an absolute blessing to me. And, and, um, you know, I'm just very grateful for everything I've learned from this conversation and from you. So thank you. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.